Before we kick off, I would like to walk through a few logistics. Statement in this presentation that refer to future plans or expectation are forward-looking statements. These statements are based on current expectations and involve many risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. For more information on the factors that could cause actual results to differ materially, see our most recent earnings release and SEC filings at intc.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Architecture Day 2020. We're grateful that you are hosting us for this virtual event inside your homes and places of work. And we wanna thank you for that upfront. We look forward to seeing you in person at a cool venue in the future. We had great feedback from all of you after the first Architecture Day back in December 2018. And we heard about your appetite to hear more from our technical experts directly. Today, we have pulled some of the brightest technical minds from across the company away from their important day jobs to be here with you and to share with you directly. We care about the technical community and we strive to have more regular connections and interactions like this. Before I introduce the agenda today, let's do a quick recap of the advances that we've made across the six pillars of technology since we introduced them at Architecture Day in December 2018. We believe the next phase is going to be exascale for everyone. pleased to launch our brand new 10th generation core Ice Lake processors. It's our most integrated SOC we've ever built. On the packaging side, we continue to advance. We can take Foberos and then interconnect called EMIB, put those together, and we can create something that you haven't seen before. Simply put, this is the world's fastest gaming processor. Tremont's biggest feature is our clustered out-of-order front ends. We kicked off a project last year, which was codenamed Pontevecchio. This is our first exascale GPU based on XEHPC. I'm thrilled to share with you today our very first discrete graphics processor up and running. It's called DG1. We're extremely excited about the gaming experience that we'll see on DG1. Last year, we evolved by adding Intel Deep Learning Boost into the second generation Xeon Scalable. We saw 30x improvement in AI inference processing. We moved from monolithic to heterogeneous architecture. This gives us the ability to mix and match IT while optimizing performance and power. 
This is the Optane Data Center Persistent Memory Lab, the largest memory module in the world. Intel has been out the gate first with a new SSD form factor to help fill that cost performance gap. We call it the ruler. Today, I'm disclosing to you 144-layer QLC SSD right here, right now. TXL is a new industry standard interconnect with low latency, high bandwidth. It's an open ecosystem. Barefoot Networks is now part of Intel. So we're showing 12.8 terabit switch demonstration together with our Intel Silicon Photonics. Billions of sensors are coming online every year, and all of these are creating a tremendous amount of data that we need to protect. One API is open, available for multiple architectures and vendors. Our OpenVINO Toolkit is a suite of software tools that drive up the inference performance at the edge or in the cloud. Today, we want to share with you some of the progress that we've made across these six pillars of technology, as well as our vision for where we're going in the future. Let's take a look at the speakers that we've lined up for you today. Raja Kadori, our Senior Vice President and Intel's Chief Architect, will be leading and hosting the event today. We hope that at the end of today's event, you're all as excited as we are about the six pillars of technology innovation strategy and the future vision. Let me hand over to Raja and let's get started. Welcome to Architecture Day. Thank you for joining us. I am looking forward to the days where we can be in the same place again and feel your energy and excitement. Hope you are staying safe and healthy wherever you are. Me and my fellow architects are super excited to be here with you. We know you wanted to hear from us last year. We wanted to talk to you as well, but we have been busy inside our labs for the last little while. Before we get into six pillars and our progress, I wanted to share with you that we at Intel are going through a major engineering and architecture transformation that sets us up for the next decade and reimagines our design methodology, architecture, and the way we solve problems for our users and customers. You'll see several elements of this transformation come through today. Each of these elements deserves several hours of discussion, which we don't have the time for today. But let me do a 30,000 foot level overview. On the design, our design methodology has historically been tightly coupled to a single transistor target. This makes it very hard to move our new architectures, new features, and new IP quickly to different process technologies, either external or internal. Our customers rely on our execution. A transistor-resilient design would have allowed us to deliver PCIe Gen 4 or a Sunny Core CPU or an XCGPU to the market sooner. 
during the time when we had challenges with our 10 nanometer process transition. On architecture, our CPU architecture built Intel as we are today. And we also played a part in enabling the entire world of computing as we also know today. But we know that the workloads have evolved and we are striving for mastery or additional XPU architectures that are super efficient for graphics, media, AI, memory, vision, security, and networking. And finally, on our approaches to solving problems, we have a wonderful history of delivering breakthrough hardware architecture and technology innovations and bringing the software ecosystem along. We now live in a time where software is running the world. We are going through a massive culture and mindset change in order to shift to a software-first approach to hardware architecture and design. Through the rest of the day, you'll see the progress we are making on this inspiring journey. But before we get there, let's step back and look at what inspires 100,000 engineers at Intel to wake up every morning and come into work. They all want to play a part, however big or small, to create world-changing technology that enriches the lives of every person on Earth. And you know, it is some of the smallest things they have created that have done some of the biggest impacts on the world. Our company vision statement is also shown here. I won't read the whole sentence, but I want to double click on the key words here, performance and data. In the last 40 years, we have seen some amazing disruptions when a lot of performance is available to a lot of people. And the key is a lot of performance to a lot of people. In the PC era, we digitized everything we could and networked everything we could. In the end, we got a billion people onto the internet and it changed the way we learned and worked and even gamed. The next disruption was the mobile plus cloud era, which connected 10 billion mobile devices to supercomputers in the cloud. And it changed the way we live. What's the next disruption going to be? We believe in not too distant future. Exascale computing should be accessible to everyone. This goal inspires me personally. When this happens, we believe we'll enter an era of intelligent everything, where 100 billion intelligent connected devices will be enriching our lives in more ways beyond our current imagination. So now double-clicking on data. We are generating a ton of data. And some people say, that's great. We got a lot of data. But there is a problem with lots of data. Data that is not analyzed is just tough. It's not useful. But analysis on a ton of data requires a ton of compute. For this data to help users in real time, they need access to a ton of compute in real time, which means low latency, close to the user. The exciting thing here is the exascale for everyone vision and the data problem are very well connected. As architects, we are excited when the problems are connected. The question is, 
how do we go about solving these exponentially hard problems? Speaking of exponential trajectories, let's look at Moore's law, which has been the exponential technology entitlement for the whole industry. This is the curve on which we built the last two eras in computing, from PC to mobile and cloud. As you can see from this chart, the key value metrics, performance per dollar and performance per watt, have been growing a much slower rate. Since the end of the Denard scaling era, we are now on what we call architecture era. Extracting exponential value from transistor technology requires whole new approaches across the whole stack. This led us to what we at Intel called our six technology pillars and the vision we shared with you all in December 2018. Advances across all these pillars are necessary to continue the essence of Moore's Law which in its golden age led to doubling of user experience every 18 months. We also said that we will deliver a diverse mix of scalar, vector, matrix, and spatial architectures designed with state-of-the-art process technology, fed by disruptive memory hierarchies, integrated into systems with advanced packaging, deployed at hyperscale with light-speed interconnect links, and unified by a single software abstraction with benchmark-defining security features. And today, I'm super happy to tell you that our architecture vision has not changed. In fact, we've been working hard on accelerating this vision. And today, I'm going to walk you through the progress we have made across these six pillars since we last met, and also signal improvements coming in our near-term roadmap. I'll take you through pillar by pillar. Let's start with process and packaging. This is what we said in 2018. The keywords here are transistor, packaging, and design. What you're going to see today is that when we optimize these together, we can get more than incremental performance. Our best architects on transistor and design have been working for a while on some really cool enhancements which are making their way into your hands very soon. Now let's get Ruth Brain, who's our advanced transistor architect, to join us and share the details. Great, thank you, Raja. The era of getting massive performance boosts from simply shrinking transistor features is behind us. For the past several generations, Intel has led the industry in continuing to enable feature scaling, but also introducing new innovations beyond traditional scaling new materials, new device architectures, and other technologies to keep driving Moore's Law forward. We were the first to introduce 3D FinFET transistors in volume production, a major device architecture innovation which moved the transistor channel into the third dimension and greatly improved control of electrons flowing through the channel. FinFET transistors operate at a lower voltage and with lower leakage, providing an unprecedented combination of improved performance and energy efficiency. We have been continuously refining and improving the FinFET since its introduction nearly a decade ago. At the 14 nanometer node, we drove continuous increases in transistor level frequency over several cycles within the node, ultimately delivering nearly a full node of performance improvement throughout the intranode enhancements. We introduced our third generation of FinFET transistors at the 10 nanometer node, continuing our journey of refining this critical technology. With our initial 10 nanometer FinFET, we focused on delivering hyperscaling, 
giving us roughly a 2.7x density improvement over the prior node. This was an ambitious area scaling target, and it's really no secret that we have had challenges bringing this process to production. Ultimately, we overcame these challenges and have introduced multiple products on this technology platform. The aggressive scaling was enabled by innovations that moved beyond the transistor device to the metal interconnects and ultimately cell level and beyond. On the lower metal layers, self-aligned quad patterning delivered increased wire counts and utilized cobalt on the lowest interconnect layers, resulting in a 2x reduction in via resistance. Another major innovation was contact over active gate, which was an industry-first technology that allows the contacts to be placed directly over the active fins. This allows us to shrink cell area scaling. Coming into 2020, our design teams were asking for even more transistor performance to deliver the product pipeline our customers required. After years of refining the FinFET platform, we are redefining it to deliver an unprecedented level of performance uplift. We achieved this through a combination of innovations across the entire process stack, from the bottom of the transistor channel all the way to the top interconnect metal layers. Within the transistor, we improved epitaxial growth of crystal structures on the source and drain, increasing the strain and reducing resistance. It allowed more current to flow through the channel. We had an enhanced source drain architecture, driving additional higher channel mobility and enabling charge carriers to move more quickly. Additionally, we had a gate pitch that we've included to provide higher drive currents for certain chip functions that require the utmost performance. Moving up to the metal stack, a new thin barrier reduces via resistance by up to 30%, enhancing interconnect performance. The final innovation is a new super MIM metal insulator metal capacitor. When compared to the industry standard, it delivers a 5x increase in capacitance within the same footprint, driving a voltage reduction that translates to dramatically improved product performance. This is an industry-first technology that far exceeds the current capabilities of other manufacturers. This innovation is enabled by a new class of high-K dielectric materials stacked in ultra-thin layers, just several angstroms thick, to form a repeating super-lattice structure. The combined power of these innovations enable us to deliver a dramatic process performance boost that it makes it the largest single node enhancement in Intel history. In one single intranode enhancement, we delivered essentially the same level of performance achieved over multiple steps at 14 nanometer and nearly the equivalent performance of a full node transition. This process boost will take Intel products to a new level in 2020 and beyond. Let me pass the discussion back to Raja. Thank you, Ruth. When we get such a big boost in performance from an intranode enhancement, our product designers are super happy. You'll hear soon how this transistor was a great solution to achieving the challenging goals we had for our upcoming products. I wouldn't call us very creative with our naming. In fact, during 14 nanometer generations, there were so many pluses that we often internally mixed up the actual plus count. Left unchecked, we were going down the same path in our internode improvements in 10 nanometer. The number of repetitive calls or emails I sent to my designers querying about how many pluses were on one chip versus another was getting ridiculous. So we decided internally to stop using the plus plus nomenclature and get to a descriptive and memorable name to denote and celebrate significant internode enhancements. Taking advantage of the SuperMIM capacitor and the enhanced FinFET, 
we decided to call this generation of transistor Superfin. Looking forward to 2021 products, we are already working on an enhanced Superfin technology. We're not going to talk about its name today. Let me get Ruth back to give us a sneak preview of this enhanced Superfin. Our friends in the data center saw what we were developing with the new Superfin technology with the client group. They asked us to make some further enhancements for data center products specifically. Servers benefit from interconnect enhancements due to the large amount of data that needs to be shared across the chip. So in addition to continued transistor optimization to deliver more intranode performance, we also focused on improving the metal stack with interconnect layer optimizations that make data center scale fabrics for CPU and GPU more easily routable. We'll have a lot more to say about this enhanced technology in the near future. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. I can't wait to share more about the products based on enhanced Superfin with you all soon. Now, no single transistor is optimal across all design points. And the diversity of our transistor needs is only increasing. That's what we said in 2018. The transistor we need for a performance desktop CPU to hit super high frequencies is very different than the transistor we need for high performance integrated GPU. We said that we need to develop technology to connect chips and chiplets in a package that can match the performance, power efficiency, and cost of a monolithic SOC. We also said we need a high-density interconnect roadmap that enables high bandwidth at low power. To walk us through progress on this pillar, let's connect with our advanced packaging integration architect, Ramuni. Thanks, Raja. Ultimately, our packaging technologies are about increasing density and decreasing power, allowing chiplets to be connected in a package with functionality that matches or exceeds the functionality of a monolithic SOC. The benefits to this approach include lower cost, greater flexibility, and quicker time to market. In order to gain these benefits, chiplet architectures need to be developed and co-optimized with silicon, design, and the overall system. Our advanced packaging roadmap is built on decades of research and development, leading up to new innovations in multiple dimensions. EMIB is the embedded multi-die interconnect bridge. It was first patented in 2008, which shows you how long we've been working on it. It's an elegant and cost-effective approach to deliver high-density integration for 2.5D interconnect. Instead of using a large silicon interposer that is typically found in other 2.5D approaches, EMIB is a small bridge die with multiple routing layers that is embedded in a standard organic package providing high edge connectivity between the die. Because the size of the silicon bridge is small, the cost is lower than that of a large silicon interposer and the technology can be applied to a range of market segments. The current generation of EMIB offers a 55 micron microbump pitch with a roadmap to get to 36 microns. One of the early product implementations with EMIB was for KB Lake G, which implemented EMIB as a high bandwidth interconnect between the graphics die and high bandwidth memory. 
This was a proof point showing that we could combine Intel chiplets with external foundry chiplets in the same package and ship it in volume. A more complex early implementation was the Stratix 10 and the follow-on Agilex FPGAs. The first Stratix 10 product used EMIB to integrate high-speed I.O. chiplets and high-bandwidth memory stacks from three different foundries and six different technology nodes. The Stratix 10 and Agilex products showcase the mix-and-match approach that is possible with standardized interfaces to support a chiplet portfolio. From our experience in the PC ecosystem, we know that standardized interfaces are foundational for being able to innovate using package components on a motherboard. We are taking that concept to the package with our die-to-die interface called AIB, the Advanced Interface Bus, which is a die-to-die interconnect standard for high bandwidth and low power connections between chiplets. AIB is available with a royalty-free license and is gaining traction in the industry. We currently have 10 AIB-based tiles from multiple vendors that are either in production or on power-on. There are 10 more tiles in the near-term horizon from ecosystem partners, including startups and university research groups. These interoperable tiles include high-speed transceivers, data converters, silicon photonics, and even machine learning accelerators. We have a roadmap to improve upon AIB with a second-generation version that will tape out in early 2021. Finally, in order to make AIB easy to implement, we have released an open-source AIB generator for rapid generation of AIB custom IP blocks across many industry-standard PDKs. It can be found on the Chips Alliance GitHub. The next step in the advanced packaging roadmap is into the third dimension with Fovros 3D stacking, which also has an interconnect pitch and density scaling roadmap. Fovros enables high-density vertical connections with 3D face-to-face die-on wafer stacking. Fine-pitch die-to-die microbumps are optimized for density, while TSVs through silicon vias in the base die are optimized for power delivery and I.O. Our current roadmap is at 50 microns with a path to scale to 25 microns. Lakefield is the first product to take advantage of our Fovoros 3D stacking technology to create a small XY footprint and enable innovative PC form factors. It is the first industry demonstration of logic-on-logic 3D stacking, which is a major milestone and paves the way for future high-volume consumer products. Beyond EMIB and Fovoros, we are continuing to develop technologies that allow us to further scale interconnect density and power efficiency. Die-on-wafer hybrid bonding interconnect extends the roadmap to 10 micron pitch and below. Hybrid bonding is an alternative to traditional thermocompression bonding. This technique enables aggressive bump pitches of 10 microns and below, which results in simpler interconnect circuitry between top and bottom die, lower capacitance, and lower interconnect power. 
We are exploring new architectures for future products through a variety of test vehicles, such as this stacked SRAM test chip that we recently taped out. We have a scaling roadmap in 2D, 2.5D, and 3D, but we also have another dimension to consider, and that is for scalability and flexibility. Co-EMIB and ODI, Omnidirectional Interconnect, are additional tools in the toolbox. Co-EMIB is essentially the combination of EMIB and Foveros, which allows us to create a larger than reticle size base for high-density interconnect between Foveros die stacks. This increases our partitioning opportunities, which is especially attractive for data center and HPC applications. Omnidirectional Interconnect, ODI, provides even greater flexibility for communication among chiplets in a package. It allows the top chiplet to be larger than the bottom chiplet. It can also be used to cantilever chiplets. ODI has large copper pillars that connect from the top die to the package substrate. The copper pillars have lower resistance than TSVs, providing more robust power delivery and high-speed I.O. connections to the package. This approach offers a lot of flexibility to optimize top and bottom die sizes and floor plans independently. To summarize, Intel has been working on advanced 2.5D and 3D packaging for decades. We are mastering the use of these technologies with these first product implementations so that we can harvest the benefits of cost, flexibility, interoperability, and reuse. We have established industry leadership with a broad advanced packaging portfolio and die-to-die -die interface standards to support a broad range of product implementations in high volume. Back to you, Raja. Thank you, Ramune. We have an incredible collection of packaging tools, and these are essential in our journey towards more transistor-resilient design, as I mentioned earlier. You'll see leverage of these tools on many of our upcoming products, including some that will be detailed later today. Now let's dive into our architecture pillars. Our heterogeneous compute architectures, what we also call XPUs, are essential to our product roadmap. So this pillar plays a central role in our strategy from CPU-centric to XPU-centric compute in 2018, we laid out the notion of scalar, vector, matrix, and spatial architectures based on the ever-increasing diversity of workload patterns running on our CPUs. A quick recap of the taxonomy. Scalar. This denotes architectures that are built to execute a single thread of software program very efficiently with unstructured data. Most of the world's software is written this way including all operating systems. The world today runs on scalar architectures. The core of CPU architecture is scalar. Scalar architectures excel in single-threaded performance and task parallelism. Vector. This denotes architectures that are built to execute a sequence of instructions on packed structured data very efficiently. General purpose graphics, media, AI, and scientific computing types of software leverage these architectures very efficiently. Both scalar and vector architectures have been around since the beginning of computing. Intel AVX extensions and GPUs 
have made supercomputer class vector architectures widely accessible. Matrix. We categorize the new architecture revolution happening with deep learning and AI under this category. As you all know, this category is evolving rapidly. At a high level of abstraction, the current AI architectures deal with matrix data types and matrix math operations more efficiently than scalar and vector architectures. Spatial. We also noticed that there is an emerging set of new programmable architectures that deal with sparse parallelism and data flow techniques. Very efficient at certain classes of algorithms involved in media encoding, 5G network packet processing, low latency inference, radar, LIDAR processing, chip simulations, and many more. Typically, when any of these algorithms get popular and need a high volume implementation, we make a dedicated fixed function ASIC. Field programmable gate array based architectures have long been leveraged to solve these problems and are a great spatial architecture example. In 2018, we showed you the plots of the evolution of these architectures and their forward looking performance trajectories. We have also made an observation that successful new architectures that needed new software delivered a 10x or more improvement at a minimum, at least in a narrow range of workloads that users cared about. GPUs are a great example of this. GPUs established a new general purpose architecture, initially delivering the 10x or greater performance versus CPU before expanding to solve other problems. In 2018, we had this illustration stating, architecture impact is performance times generality. What this means is, while performance of each architecture matters, its generality is also important to be able to solve a wide range of problems. We wanted to focus on both performance and generality. We also said that our strategy is not to deal with each of these architecture boxes separately, but to solve problem holistically as an area under the curve problem. We continue to make progress in this direction and we'll go into more details on this a little later. But let's start with our crown jewels, our scalar CPU cores. We showed this roadmap at 2018 Architecture Day and we detailed our Sunny Cove and Tremont architectures. Sunny Cove delivered significant improvement to our Ice Lake client products. It had a host of new features as well as a sizable improvement in performance. Sunny Cove has a wider, deeper, and smarter core than the prior generation. Sunny Cove also brought several new instructions to the delight of the software world, like VNNI for AI, crypto and compression and decompression instructions. In 2019, we laid out details of our Tremont architecture. Intel's next generation, low power, high performance x86 microarchitecture, which brought significant IPC performance improvement versus prior architecture. With a completely redesigned front end, execution units, memory subsystem, and new instructions, we added to our arsenal a highly scalable and highly power efficient microarchitecture that complements our co architectures. I'm super excited about the trajectory of our Mont architectures and the competitive options they enable. Okay, 
I know this is a section a lot of you are waiting for. I've been waiting as well. Our next generation CPU core and the SOC architecture that will be soon inside a computer near you. Let me bring in Boyd to tell us more about Willowco and Tiger Lake. Thank you, Raja. We've made great progress, and I'm excited for the opportunity to introduce today, for the first time publicly, details of the upcoming Tiger Lake SOC architecture. When we started the Tiger Lake journey, we did so with an ambitious set of specific goals. We wanted to deliver greater than generational performance in CPU and graphics, as well as deliver an AI scalable, bandwidth efficient, feature rich, and secure machine across a dynamic range of TDPs from less than 10 watts to 65 watts, and do it with increased power efficiency. Today, I'm thrilled to announce that we have delivered on those ambitions. How did we solve the engineering challenge we set before us? We did it by leveraging our diverse set of Intel SOC and IP architects together with designers and key Intel process technologists to both re-engineer our process technology and then leverage that to re-architect and redesign the mobile SOC. In doing so, we delivered unprecedented leaps in performance and expanded the set of features offered throughout the SOC. So I'd like to start where the journey all began, with the transistor. We added a new high-performance transistor that increases drive current with an improved gate process, enabling higher mobility while also lowering the source drain resistance. And we did this all with lower capacitance. Not only do we add a new device for high performance, but we also took our existing high VT devices used in our non-high-frequency critical IPs like Type-C, PCIe, imaging, and made them more efficient. We were able to speed those devices up while lowering their leakage, and this gave us the ability to lower their operating voltage, returning yet more power headroom to be available for our high-performance IPs. But as every good designer knows, it takes more than transistors. As Moore's Law continues to shrink feature sizes, the metal stack's interconnect performance is as vital as the transistor itself. We invested significant engineering focus and resources to redesign the metal stack as well. We greatly improved the resistance, the availability, and yieldability of the mid-layers. We also added two additional high-performance layers at the top and dramatically enhanced the MIMCAP capabilities to ensure a rapid and solid power delivery response for high CPU intensity workloads. Now, the combination of the new transistor technology as well as the improved metal stack is what we call superfin technology. The results of these engineering investments have greatly exceeded our expectations. Now I'd like to explain how we use it in Tiger Lake. In designing the CPU for Tiger Lake called Willow Cove, we were driven by three main goals. One, build upon the foundation of the Sunny Cove architecture with all of its deeper, wider, smarter, and new VNNI hardware for AI but make it significantly faster and do it at lower power. Two, redesign the caching architecture to be non-inclusive with the mid-level cache size increase from 512 kilobytes to 1.25 megabytes in order to handle the increased performance targets and emerging workloads of tomorrow. And three, make it secure with features like CET technology that helps protect against control flow oriented attacks. 
to be honest, we debated whether to focus our efforts on additional IPC or to redesign the fundamental circuits to take advantage of the superfin process enhancements. And in the end, we believe we made the right engineering choice. And we were able to deliver a greater than generational improvement in performance by not only dramatically lowering the voltage at which Willow Cove achieves its operating frequencies versus Sunny Cove, but we were also able to extend the range. Willow Cove is better, faster and more efficient, enabling generational CPU gains in not only TDP-limited performance, but also in unconstrained performance across the board. Willow Cove was designed to optimize the entire range of the VF curve. So let me illustrate what this dynamic range of performance looks like. At a given voltage, Willow Cove delivers a significant frequency increase. It can also operate at any fixed frequency with a significant lower voltage. It is performance across the full VF curve, a greater dynamic range from Vmin to Vmax. This is substantial uplift. Now today, I'd love to show you what this looks like in an actual workload. Now at the top of your screen, we show Willow Cove and Sunny Cove side-by-side -side running WebExpert 3, a browser-based workload using HTML5 and JavaScript, which has high frequency sensitivity and represents the bursty nature of web browsing performance that is important in today's workloads. In the bottom part of the screen, you can see the real-time frequencies for Willow Cove and Sunny Cove while running the workload. As the workload runs, there are multiple sub-workloads running in series, so you can see the CPU bursting up as workloads run and down as workloads complete, and the next one fires up. You can clearly see Willow Cove running with significant higher frequencies at the same or lower power over Sunny Cove, which results in better performance and responsiveness. This was our goal in designing the Willow Cove CPU, where there is no S-curve downside in the CPU at all. We are leveraging the superfin process enhancements to change how power is allocated to graphics. We are able to deliver more power headroom, and with that headroom and architectural improvements, we were able to increase our execution units, EUs, from 64 to 96 and drive them faster within the same power envelope. We also added additional hardware and data types for increased AI capabilities. And David Blythe will discuss our XE groundbreaking graphics architecture in the next presentation. With the increased number of EUs came a demand for more bandwidth. And to open up that bandwidth, we had to redesign Tiger Lake and feed the XE engine. Tiger Lake was designed for high bandwidth and to support a wide variety of memory technologies. As mentioned before in Tiger Lake, our high-speed coherent fabric called the Ring is used to connect our high-performance cores and graphics. We doubled the Ring bandwidth over Ice Lake by implementing a dual-ring microarchitecture. We also leveraged our Superfin technology to improve the voltage and frequency scaling capability. We also enlarged our last level cache by 50%, now with the range of 12 megabytes to 24 megabytes depending on the product, to capture more working sets while maintaining the same low hit latency. Now to exploit DRAM efficiency and better utilize memory bandwidth, we reorganized the memory into eight by 16 bundles and added a second memory controller with deeper queues for better scheduling efficiency. The max bandwidth to memory in the Tiger Lake architecture can scale up to 86 gigabytes per second. Initial Tiger Lake configurations will support DDR4, 3200, LP4, 4X up to 4267, and is future-proofed for a later version of Tiger Lake to support LP5 technologies up to 5400. 
We also added the Total Memory Encryption Engine, TME, which applies the XDS-AES encryption decryption algorithm to memory traffic to protect the system DIMMs. With Tiger Lake, we offer a variety of AI capabilities for different workloads from CPU AI acceleration via VNNI instructions to GPU to low power accelerators like GNA 2.0. The TDP power for Tiger Lake's GNA 2.0 is one gigaop per milliwatt with the capability up to 38 gigaops. Now this is targeted for algorithms like noise cancellation or applications like meeting transcription, translation, and of course context and conversation tracking. This low power capability is increasingly more important in today's modern mobile CPUs, especially with the emphasis on high quality distance-based collaboration. Tiger Lake also provides advancements in areas of display and imaging. For the display, we wanted to increase not only the number of displays that could be supported, but also handle the greater resolutions and quality emerging in future displays. So this translates into much higher bandwidth requirements with the need to preserve quality of service. To do that, we re-architected Tiger Lake to handle that demand. We plumbed in a 64-byte direct data path from memory to display. We call this the display ISOC port to bypass all of the arbitration layers of the SOC fabric. Now, the display ISOC port easily supports up to 64 gigabytes per second, depending on product implementation. Now, with imaging, with our IPU architecture, there are several new Tiger Lake camera capabilities that are brought to life in our new technology. The image pipeline is now fully implemented in hardware for lower power and faster responsiveness. There are up to six sensors capable of supporting video up to 4K 90 resolutions with still image resolutions up to 42 megapixels. Now, our initial product offerings will support 4K 30 and 27 megapixels, respectively. Our IPU6 architecture also supports a host of new sensor technologies and quality enhancements. Tiger Lake has a very rich set of I.O. capabilities implemented for a mobile CPU that enables a new array of platform capabilities and form factors. Tiger Lake introduces integrated Thunderbolt 4 and USB 4 that are fully specification compliant. The integrated display via the Type-C system builds on the prior DP tunneling over Thunderbolt, but importantly, it adds DPN ports for discrete card display port outputs to be muxed over the integrated Type-C ports depending on the SKU configuration. Now for PCIe, in order to increase responsiveness, we added PCIe Gen 4 lanes that enable direct SSD attached to the CPU without having to go through the PCH. Not only is this great for high-speed storage devices, for which we are seeing 100 nanoseconds less latency versus connecting them via the PCH, but it also allows for other interesting configurations, say, for example, being able to attach graphics cards to it. The number of lanes will be dependent on core count configuration and power levels. Now, in order to improve power and performance to achieve our aggressive goals, we worked on two separate streams of power management work. One, Tiger Lake was designed to dynamically match the frequency and voltage to the bandwidth needed by the workloads being run. Our autonomous DVFS capabilities achieve low latency scaling of voltage and frequency to run at the most power efficient point based on workload bandwidth for both the SOC fabric and the memory subsystem. In addition to our DVFS capabilities, we've targeted several areas of the design for reduced power consumption, even with all of the added features and performance. Our improved HVT transistors are vital for improving power in our Type-C, PCIe, and DDRIO subsystems. We lowered the fixed rail voltages over Ice Lake where possible, while also improving the efficiency of our fully integrated voltage regulators. We also reduced the amount of logic needed 
to live on our deep sleep sea state sustain rail. Now, in the end, both of these work streams resulted in greater power efficiency, which translates into higher performance at the same power envelope with decreased energy consumption. Overall, versus Ice Lake and leveraging the great process technology improvements we've described, the Tiger Lake SOC architecture delivers significant advancements across a wide set of SOC IPs with more than a generational increase in CPU performance with Willow Cove, massive improvements in graphics power efficiency in the XE graphics IP, scalable AI for emerging client workloads, increased memory and fabric efficiency to support high bandwidth and rich IO capabilities, and much more. I hope you can see why we are excited about our Tiger Lake journey. Intel teams redesigned the SOC on the foundation of our Superfin technology, delivering greater performance across CPU, GPU, and AI. With the improved power efficiency, we were not only able to refresh and update all existing IP, but we were able to integrate additional functionality for a greater user experience across the spectrum. The engineers at Intel are proud to deliver Tiger Lake. Thank you for your time. Back to you, Raja. Generational leap in CPU performance, leadership graphics, leadership AI, more memory bandwidth, additional security features, better display, better video, better camera. Thank you, Boyd, and the rest of the Tiger Lake team. Now back to our architecture pillar journey. Since the last architecture day, we have also launched a significant new CPU architecture, one that doesn't quite fit in either of these lanes. In fact, let's create some space. We introduced Lakefield, our first product ever using an x86 hybrid architecture, including Sunnycore and Tremont cores. Our goal with this architecture was to enable world-class battery life while maintaining the snappy responsiveness that users expect from Intel processors. It was also important to get the operating system and the rest of the software ecosystem to adopt hybrid architecture. We worked with all the key operating system vendors to leverage our hardware-guided scheduling and enhanced quality of service features to help schedule workloads to achieve the best responsiveness while delivering the best battery life. Lakefield achieves up to 24% higher power efficiency and over 90% lower standby power. We learned a lot in building Lakefield and that work resulted in a really great product. But we saw an opportunity to apply these learnings in our next generation product to deliver enhanced performance. So we combined our new Golden Cove and Gracemont cores to build Alder Lake, our new performance hybrid. While Lakefield was tuned for battery life, in Alder Lake, we are advancing our hybrid architecture significantly with a focus on performance. We are working on next-generation hardware-guided scheduler, optimized for performance, and leveraging all cores seamlessly. Alder Lake will not only be great for performance, but it will also be our best performance for what architecture. Next up, Let's talk XCGPU architecture. This is the foundation that helps us build GPUs that are scalable from teraflops to petaflops. The key word here is scalable. Remember, we are no strangers to vectors and matrices. 
We have decades of experience adding vector extensions on our CPU and have more recently been adding matrix extensions, which is great. But these extensions are tightly coupled to the CPU core and only scale with core count, which limits our ability to offer our customers products with petaflop scale computing in each socket. In 2018, we laid out our XE strategy, a single XE architecture, which can scale from teraflops to petaflops. Let me double click on our strategy and give you all a few more details about our goals with XE. The first key focus for us was software. We knew that GPUs need a rich software ecosystem to succeed and that we should not start from scratch. We have a very broad and deep software ecosystem for CPUs. And Intel plays a major role in compilers, libraries, middleware, and tools like VTune. We wanted to build on this CPU software stack. But the GPU also needs things beyond what's in a CPU software stack. We needed a rich set of drivers and support for various APIs across all the key operating systems. Fortunately, we have more than 20 years of history in this area. Intel graphics, media, and display drivers have been the reference drivers in open source for a long time as well. So we wanted to build a hardware architecture that made it easier for us to leverage both Xeon and integrated software. The second focus area was scalability. We saw that the GPU market was many segments at many price points and performance levels. We couldn't afford to take many years to cover all the segments. Coverage of multiple segments is very important for us to get traction with software developers as well. They are not very motivated to optimize if your architecture is not pervasive up and down the performance range. This is why it was super important for us to keep our focus on integrated graphics, which reaches hundreds of millions of users every year. When it comes to hardware scalability, we looked at scaling in all form factors at single chip level, package level, system level, which we refer to as scale up, and data center level, which we refer to as scale out. The key challenge here is how to offer this scalability in a simple, productive manner to software. The third focus was new workload areas. We wanted to focus on problems that the current GPUs are not yet solving well, while having a competitive baseline for current workloads. As you all know, AI is evolving at a fast pace and also the amount of media we are processing and consuming. So we decided to take some leaps in both of these areas. With these goals in mind, let me unpack our XC GPU roadmap a little bit. In 2019, at HPC DevCon, we also revealed that we added a third new XC microarchitecture, optimized for high-performance computing, HPC, from the original starting point of two. But the key first step to our strategy was always XCLP. This is the foundation on which we built the rest of our roadmap. To tell you more about XCLP and Tiger Lake Graphics, let's go talk to David. Thanks, Raja. So as Raja mentioned, XE is our new architecture that scales from teraflops to petops. And today I'm focusing on the teraflop side and specifically the XCLP microarchitecture. So our goal here is to continue to drive the visual experience for PC mobile and ultra mobile form factors. In particular, by making a substantial performance increase over the general of an Ice Lake implementation, another 2x. But at the same time, we're constrained by power, 
needing to operate in the same 10 watt power envelope, and we didn't want to grow the die area compared to the Gen 11 implementation. So effectively, this means increasing performance at ISO power and ISO area, or in other words, increasing performance per millimeter squared, performance per watt, and performance per flop simultaneously. So this is a pretty daunting task. And essentially, it required us to do a from the ground up new microarchitecture, XELP. It also meant that the architecture and, and microarchitecture, RTL design, physical design, and process teams all really needed to work together on this new microarchitecture to do the design and implementation. So let's talk about what we did. First, we knew we wanted to increase the computational assets in the machine. And we chose 1.5x larger as the right target to achieve a good chunk of the 2x goal. At the same time, we knew that we had to scale up all the assets proportionately to maintain balance in the machine, and at the same time, not substantially grow the die area. So this 1.5x translates into a configuration with up to 96 execution units. And those execution units can execute 1,532-bit operations per clock and process 48 bilinear texels per clock through six samplers and up to 24 pixels per clock through three pixel pipes. And at the same time, increasing the depth processing and other rates proportionately. Now, before we go into more details on the architecture and microarchitecture, let's talk about some of the other things that we did in the drive for 2x performance. So we put that stake in the ground with growing the engine by 1.5x in size and processing power. The rest of the 2x comes from a combination of two things. First, increasing frequency at ISO power, and then increasing the performance delivered by each flop, the performance per flop. Now Boyd talked about increasing frequency for the Willow Cove core, and in short, we did something similar. We re-pipelined significant portions of the machine as part of the XELP microarchitecture, and we also took advantage of some of the of the process improvements like the better transistors and, and improvements to the metal stack. Now we also did a bunch of workload analysis and eliminated multiple small bottlenecks in the machine to improve both the 3D and the compute performance per flop. Now, I'm not going to give specific details on the exact magnitude of the frequency and per flop improvements, you know, but, but these together you know, add up to cover the rest of the 2x, and I'm sure more of this will become apparent after launch. Now, again, I want to emphasize that doing all this at ISO power and near ISO area required a significant redesign of the microarchitecture. So let's take a look at that. One of the areas where we did a substantial amount of work is in the execution units. Here we have a simplified representation of the Gen 11 execution unit. It has a thread controller instruction fetch unit that drives two asymmetric vector pipelines. Each vector pipe implements four lanes of 32-bit multiply add operations. One pipe also supports integer operations, whereas the other supports extended math operations. Instructions can be co-issued to either of these pipes or to the branch or send units. Now from workload analysis and to support our efficiency targets, we decided to make a few changes. First, we wanted to increase the number of vector lanes scheduled by an execution unit from eight to 16. We did this by reorganizing the vector pipelines and restructuring the execution units so that pairs of execution units run in lockstep under a single thread controller. This wider execution allowed us to design a more efficient thread controller that lowers the gate count and power, effectively driving the vector units in a more efficient way. Now, as part of this new microarchitecture, we also worked with the software team to move the scoreboarding logic from hardware to software de dependency tracking, managed by the compiler code generator. We also merged the two four-wide pipelines into one eight-wide vector unit that supports integer math, effectively doubling the integer rate from Gen 11. This simplifies the logic in the thread controller and also reduces gate count. Finally, we moved the extended math from the vector pipelines into a separate two-wide pipeline that can execute in parallel with the main vector pipeline. While this takes a little extra thread control logic, moving it outside of the main pipeline ensures that the vector lanes are not idle while extended math operations are executing. 
The end result is slimmer, more efficient execution units to help drive performance at ISO power and area. Now let's move on to the memory subsystem. So again, based on workload analysis, we saw an opportunity to increase performance of the load store pipeline, adding an L1 cache. We also extended the throughput and the size of the L3 cache supporting sizes as large as 16 megabytes. To support the increased bandwidth demands of the larger and faster engine, and to match the bandwidth provided by the Tiger Lake SOC memory subsystem, we also doubled the data pass through the SOC graphics interface to 128 bytes per clock. And also as part of the memory subsystem microarchitecture, we extended it to support both unified memory for integrated graphics and dedicated local memory for discrete graphics. And to reduce or take some of the pressure off on the bandwidth demands, we also improved the color and depth compression algorithms and extended the compression codecs to the media and display interfaces so that image data can remain compressed when shared between graphics, media, and display. So hopefully this gives you an idea of the extensive work that was done by the team on the XELP microarchitecture and implementation. Let's take a look at some demos that show those results in action. The XELP architecture represents a very significant step forward in graphics computing in thin and light mobile form factors. Enhanced performance and power efficiency in XE enable much broader 1080p gameplay and is supported across a wide range of games. From multiplayer battle royale to racing series to strategy action role playing to first person shooters and so many more. With XE, you can expect outstanding performance across a breadth of games, including previously unachievable gameplay on some AAA titles in this form factor. How does XE improve gaming? First, power efficiency. Let's look at Battlefield 1 playing on a 25 watt Gen 11 platform. Now with XE graphics on a 15 watt platform. Here, side by side, you can see the visual experience is similar, but XE performance enhancements enable this gameplay at much lower power. For gamers, frame rate is critical. Again, here's Battlefield 1 on both Gen 11 and XE graphics at close to the same power. The increased frame rate achievable with XE results in a much better viewing experience. Let's slow down playback to 10% speed and really show this effect. Look at the tracks of the tank and how smooth the rolling action is on XE. Watch as we drive into the building and the pieces start to fall. XE generates many more frames per second. For games playable on Gen 11 graphics at low quality settings, how does XE enhance that experience? Let's play grid on Gen 11 and set quality to low. We see smooth gameplay at good frame rates. Now let's switch to XE and set quality to high. This also results in smooth gameplay at good frame rates, but now at much higher quality. In these still shots, as we swipe from Gen 11 to XE, it's clear that XE enables a higher quality gaming experience. Just look at the details of the palm leaves on the tree shadows, as well as the improved sharpness of the car and many more people in the crowd. 
The improvements that we made in XELP aren't just limited to gaming. We also made some changes to the compute capabilities for AI applications. Earlier, I mentioned that the L1 cache and other changes we made in the execution units to increase their throughput and efficiency. One additional improvement we made is increasing the 8-bit integer throughput by adding a four-wide dot product with a 32-bit accumulate. For applications such as AI inference that can use 8-bit processing, this gives a 4x throughput increase over using 32-bit arithmetic. Let's take a look at a demo showing the performance benefit of this capability. Here's a practical application and results of optimizing AI inferencing on XELP. Topaz Labs created a photo enlarging application called Gigapixel AI. This application uses deep learning that can imagine new details in your upscaled images. This produces stunning results that were simply not possible before the use of AI. However, these methods are incredibly math intensive requiring trillions of calculations to upscale even a single image, like in this two times preview. Let's start processing the photo set. Topaz Labs worked with Intel to optimize their AI acceleration, and they did this by integrating the OpenVINO toolkit. OpenVINO leverages the inherent acceleration of int8 inferencing, utilizing the DLBoost DP4A instructions in the new XELP graphics. Here, you can see the performance improvement over three generations of Intel graphics. It is exponentially faster on XE, already completing the batch processing, while Gen 11 is partway through and the older 9th Gen is still just starting. AI changes our expectations of what our technology products do for us. Intel continues to innovate both in AI hardware and software architectures to meet this growing demand. Now again, we didn't solely focus on our, our improvements on the 3D compute engine. We also did quite a lot of work on the media and display engines across multiple vectors. Performance, resolution, color depth quality, and power. In the XELP media engine, it retains a similar architecture to that in Gen 11, but we increase both the encode and the decode throughputs by nearly 2x in some cases, and across multiple formats, 444, 422, 420. We also added AV1 decoder support, and HEVC screen content coding support. And we've continued to drive frame rate and resolution with 4K and 8K60 support and additional HDR display support for HDR10 and Dolby Vision standards. And finally, targeting professional and prosumer applications, we increase fidelity with full end-to-end 12-bit color support. Now the XLP display engine includes a number of additions and improvements covering new capabilities and power efficiency as well. The engine supports up to four display pipelines and can drive 8K UHD and 5K ultra-wide displays. And the new DisplayPort 2.0 capabilities provide increased link bandwidth to drive these higher resolution displays. The engine supports HDR10 and Dolby Vision Color and 12-bit color end-to-end. -end. Now, high refresh rates and ability to deftly change refresh rate is becoming increasingly important. To that end, we added support for up to 360 Hertz refresh rate and variable refresh rate through multiple port types. So I've done a tour of some of the highlights of XELP, and hopefully it's given you a good idea of how the new microarchitecture helps us meet the ambitious goals that we set for ourselves. While I focus mostly on the hardware side of the story, there's an equally important story to tell on the software side. And so it's my pleasure to introduce Lisa Pierce, the Vice President of Graphic Software Engineering, and she's going to fill in more of the picture and give you some more insight into what it really takes to bring the XE architecture fully to life. All right, thanks, David. So now that we've covered the XE microarchitecture, let's cover its 
pairing software stack and the surrounding ecosystem. Now for this, we didn't want to just do an incremental change. It was critical to go build a new driver architecture that would fundamentally set us up, not just for XE, but also its future generations. And so what was our key challenge? Previously, we were focused on integrated graphics, which had a much more narrow focus of client workloads and a specific power target. But stability was absolutely critical and a top priority. Now, why was that? We had hundreds of millions of new Intel integrated graphics users each year. So as we embarked on XE, it was critical to have a very robust new driver architecture. And that driver architecture was key to leverage the XE efficiencies and deliver across performance ranges and segments within one unified driver stack. Now in doing this, we also wanted to change our execution model. We wanted to get more agile in releases, get more aggressive in our performance improvements that are really necessary for this great graphics market. So with that background, there's changes, of course, to display, media, and compute. But today I'm going to focus on 3D and the impact to the overall gaming experience. This is a high-level illustration of the driver stack for 3D, specifically in user space. There's kernel mode components that sit below this. And these four blocks is really what I want to talk to you about today. Our AIL layer for game optimizations, our IGCC UI. So the bottom two I'm going to focus on first. This is the runtime driver and the GPU compiler. And this is really where we want to ensure max efficiency of XE. And within that, there were three key changes to this stack. First, let's talk about the compiler. This is the part of the driver that takes a game's high-level API standardized language and translates it into GPU instructions. And we've made changes to our compiler really to maximize the hardware software design efficiency. And one significant example of this was the shift to software scoreboarding. Some of the register dependency checking we moved to the compiler. This allows us to simplify the hardware thread control logic, reduce gate count, and as a result, increase the power efficiency. The second change targets CPU utilization and overall memory footprint in our DX11 driver. So you may ask, why DX11? It has a huge install base. And unlike DX12 and Vulkan, it's a higher level API. So CPU driver overhead is absolutely critical to unlocking higher levels of GPU performance. And so we built this DX11 driver from scratch. Its code name is Monza. And it was really all about a design with multi-threading in mind, focusing on the best possible tuned performance and local memory usage for discrete graphics. The third change I want to talk to you about is the GPU profiler. So let's zoom into that. Our driver now monitors key metrics and triggers shader recompiles dynamically throughout the game. And these key metrics can be things like shader execution time, EU utilization, CPU utilization. And it takes those metrics and real-time information and looks at different algorithms like SIMD modes and makes a key decision to recompile dynamically, really to maximize the balance of system resources and get better overall performance. Now, this change is unique, unlike the others, in that it was a general driver change. So we've enabled this change across Gen 9, Gen 11, and XE graphics. Shading is a process where the GPU calculates the color of each pixel, and it consumes a large amount of processing power on the GPU. Intel's coarse pixel shading was our initial effort to optimize this process by reducing the amount of shading. The industry solution is called VRS that extends this approach where you can adjust the shading rate per draw depending on the level of detail needed and provide a great experience with higher performance. 
So now let's see VRS and specifically XELP in action. We work with Codemasters to implement VRS in the latest installment of the Grid series. And this is where developers can select sections of the game to intelligently shade what matters most for gamers. And so we see a spectrum of shading rates to illustrate VRS being applied. Green represents one by one pixel shading rate, so essentially full shading rate. Yellow is two by two, and red is four by four. And so this enables a lot of flexibility for game developers. Here we're experiencing up to 15% improved FPS with VRS on on the right versus VRS off on the left. And what we're excited about is we see the same improvement on Ice Lake, on Tiger Lake, and additional generations to come. Now let's talk about game optimization. So when a new game launches, on top of providing optimal in-game settings and IGCC, we also have an intense effort to optimize the path through the driver. And this is where we're trying to make sure that we can get faster changes to the end users. And with instant game tuning, we're able to go and push these driver optimizations and fixes without a full driver install. So the end user now can opt in in IGCC to get these updates automatically. So a key DLL that enables our driver optimizations will be automatically updated through the cloud. And this enables it to reach end users once they opt in. It'll be enabled every time it gets pushed without any interaction from the end user or a graphics driver update. One request we've heard is for a simple capture and stream capability that didn't require a complex setup and was easy to access. So we've now integrated this capability into our IGCC UI for local recording and broadcast utilizing our hardware encoding engine. And so now you can utilize this with IGCC to stream through YouTube or Twitch with ultra low latency and reduced CPU overhead. And you know, our users can continue to use the applications that they know as well that we've also enabled like OBS, XSplit, and others. This is just the start for IGCC, and you can see these capabilities build up over time to really get to the point of what streamers expect today of other solutions. The final feature I want to talk to you about is game sharpening. And this is a new post-processing feature to sharpen image in games, and it's opt-in in IGCC. And it's a compute shader-based adaptive sharpening algorithm that boosts image clarity in games and is particularly useful for titles that use resolution scaling to balance performance and image quality. And we call this technology Perceptual Adaptive Sharpening, or PASS for short. And so you can take a look here at the animation and see the original upscaled image on the left, and you can see the, the image on the right that has PASS applied. And the key thing to focus on is areas like the roof or sharper edges, where a typical upscaled image will have a little softer look and not the crisp edges that you would expect. Now, one thing is that all game images are different. So we try to look at a broad level to see the response of our algorithm to different input types. And what you see here is really an illustration to look at how we respond to sharp transitions like lines or edges or other more gradual or irregular noise like bits in a texture. And so the key improvement here is that PAST does a great job at enhancing edges without overshooting or ringing, which can cause significant shimmering uh, or noise when you view it in real time. And so the best part, we're excited, PAST can be done with almost no computational overhead versus existing solutions. And ultimately, building great hardware and software would be nothing without having a very tight relationship with game vendors. And we have a very strong developer relations program that's been engaging very early to make sure that game developers have their titles optimizing best possible work on XE graphics, as well as exposing new features like VRS. 
And so when I started this, I was talking to you about the challenges in front of us, the incredible challenge to scale multiple segments and performance targets. And our new architecture, we're very excited to see achieving those goals. And you can see that live and in front of us with Tiger Lake that's going to be coming very soon. And now I'm going to hand it over to Raja. He's going to talk about XE scalability because ultimately it's not just about 3D, but this same architecture is mapping over to compute in the data center. Raja, over to you. Thank you, David and Lisa, for walking us through the hardware and software architecture journey for XE in Tiger Lake. As I mentioned before, this is the foundation for all our GPU dreams here at Intel and is leveraged as is in a few products. So let me talk about some products based on XELP. You just heard from Boyd and David about the first product to leverage XE, Tiger Lake. We are super proud and motivated to keep raising the bar on integrated graphics. DG1 is Intel's first discrete GPU in more than 20 years. We leverage XELP and the rest of SOC architecture from Tiger Lake. It was a run fast, learn fast, and solve some key problems along the way for our customers kind of product. Thanks to DG1, our software stack now is discrete graphics ready. Also, our OEM customers love the fact that they can get a single qualified driver from us that works for both Tiger Lake and DG1. Reducing the cost, effort, and friction they usually face when mixing and matching integrated and discrete graphics from different vendors. The single software interface also enables us to offer some cool integrated plus discrete performance optimizations in a seamless manner. We focused on the all-important thin and light mobile market with this product, which continues to demand more and more graphics for creators. DG1 has its own dedicated memory subsystem and also additional power budget. We will be shipping DG1 this year, and we will share many details on this product soon. We are also leveraging XELP in a data center focused product codenamed SC1. As I hinted before, there is increasing demand from our cloud customers for GPUs in the cloud that have excellent media capabilities. Intel's media engines have always had great support across all the top media frameworks and applications like FFmpeg, GStreamer, Handbrake, Cyberlink, Adobe, and more. SG1 builds on top of that software foundation to deliver class-leading stream density, visual quality, and TCO for media transcode and streaming. SG1 brings the equivalent of four DG1s in a small form factor to the data center and will ship later this year. But we have even bigger plans for data center. XEHP was our first big leap from LP. There were a lot of changes we had to do to hit the data center scale. Step one was to scale everything, like everything from the humble LP. EU counts needed to go from double digit quantities to quad digits. So we did a scale of 100x. Frequency needed a big boost, anywhere from 1.5 to 2x boost from the LP base. Memory bandwidth needed a 10x boost from integrated graphics levels. We had to scale our internal fabrics up to meet these levels. We also needed to add support for several new math formats that are not typically prioritized for integrated graphics, double precision floating point and AI formats in particular. And we needed to increase the IPC for several formats as well, 
over 10x in many cases. The scale everything was the hardest part and our GPU architecture team was up to the task. But that wasn't enough. We had to scale even more. The data center GPU market was growing fast. Today's solutions range from 75 watts all the way up to 500 watts in various form factors. We had one design team and we had to come up with an architecture that enabled us to offer a range of solutions to our customers. Our advanced packaging architecture team jumped in here and helped us. The big area of focus and differentiation for us was in media. We set a lofty target for media, well above and beyond anything that's out there for stream density and visual quality, and far beyond what our customers thought anyone could do. We really wanted to bring a rack-level media performance down to a package. And more importantly, we wanted to do that at a quality level close to the best offline encoders that are out there. We also wanted to make supporting all the existing media software like FFmpeg, GStreamer, Handbrake, Cyberlink, and Adobe easy and also enable their high-quality encoding paths, which are typically only enabled for CPUs. This meant we had to lean in heavily on programmability for media as well. These were all pretty lofty goals. And I'm super happy to tell you that we are able to see all this scalability in action recently. We have had XEHP Silicon back in labs for several weeks now, and it had a successful power on. This is a GPU bring up that many of us will remember as the first of many forever. Bringing a GPU of this scale and complexity is always challenging in normal times. And it looked particularly daunting when we began this during the pandemic. But the team found ways to be productive. In many cases, they surprised themselves and hit some key milestones sooner than their pre-COVID plans. They are super excited and want to show you a couple of demos of XCHP Media and scaling straight from their labs. Welcome to Intel Labs, where our teams are hard at work around the world, testing and tuning our latest innovations. Today, they're working on something particularly special, Intel's first discrete GPU based on XEHP architecture. In these labs, we've leveraged Intel's unique packaging innovations for an industry-first, multi-tiled, highly scalable, and high-performance architecture. This is XEHP. Let's take a look at what it can do. XEHP was created to be a media supercomputer on a PCIe card. Here, you'll see us transcoding a 4K video in real time, up to 60 frames per second, on a single stream. But we didn't stop there. By utilizing our industry-leading media IP and creating the most dense media architecture on a GPU, with FFmpeg, we can transcode up to 10 full streams of high-quality HEVC 4K video at 60 frames per second on a single tile. And you can see the FFmpeg output on screen, displaying the progression of real-time transcode of each frame. By optimizing for bitrate efficiency and stream density, customers are able to realize real-world TCO improvements for delivery of video content at scale. Along with media, we've placed compute throughput in the forefront of XEHP architecture, increasing the total number of execution units by over 100x when compared to XELP. Viewing this through the lens of peak FP32 performance, XEHP covers a dynamic range of compute throughput 
with near linear scalability from one tile to two tile to four tile, and packing the most FB32 peak performance placed onto a single GPU package when measured by the CLPeak benchmark. This unique combination of compute and media performance provides customers the flexibility to design for their most demanding applications. And we've only just begun. We have XEHP in three packages today. First, the single tile. As you saw, the single tile was transcoding 10 high quality 4K video streams simultaneously. A single tile of this architecture already provides stream density per socket, per watt, per dollar that wasn't feasible before. Multi-tile sets the bar even higher. And we have much more tuning to do. Now, in the second demo, we also showed the compute scalability of XEHP across multiple tiles. Again, very early drivers and silicon running at low clocks. But those single precision FP32 performance numbers of over 40 teraflops is already impressive and respectable. Considering that the best GPU out in the market today is in the 20 teraflop range, the really cool thing here is we are able to achieve the scaling with single hardware design and single software stack. First, the single tile. This is two tile and this is the four tile GPU. I know developers and customers will want to know when they can get their hands on one of these. Well, our key priority is to give access to this architecture to software developers. We are working hard to enable XEHP in our dev cloud and hope to have that available soon. We will be enabling the broader ecosystem through XELP products and HP software development vehicles. We will also be enabling the broader ecosystem through XELP products and HP software development vehicles. Beyond developers, we are sampling to our key customers. We plan to bring products based on XEHP next year. As we said before, we have three microarchitectures, XELP, HP, and HPC. And I know we haven't said anything about enthusiast gamers, our buddies, folks close to your heart and our hearts. Good news is we haven't forgotten you. We have been working since 2018 on another optimization for XEHP targeted at gaming. The microarchitecture variant is called HPG. We know enthusiast gamers are the hardest bunch to impress. They love products that have the best performance, best performance per watt, performance per dollar, and latest, greatest features, all at the same time. We had to leverage the best aspects of the three designs we had in progress to build a gaming optimized GPU. We had a good perf per watt building block to start with XELP. We leveraged the scale from HP to get a much bigger config, and we leveraged the compute frequency optimizations from HPC. We also added a new memory subsystem based on GDDR6 to improve performance per dollar. XEHP and HPC are based on HPM. I still have the scars on my back trying to bring expensive memory subsystems like HPM to gaming, at least twice. To execute this in parallel to other programs, we leveraged IP like GDDR from the external foundry ecosystem. I'm excited to share with you that this GPU is now in our labs 
as we speak. And I can't wait to get my hands on it soon. And yes, this GPU will have support for hardware-accelerated ray tracing, along with several exciting features you expect for a gaming GPU. And we plan to ship this architecture in 2021. Here is the full roll-up of our XE architecture and the four micro-architectures. And as I mentioned before, the product-specific details will be shared closer to product launch dates. There is a lot of interest, rumors, and confusion around how we are building some of our XE products. So I thought I'll make a simple table to help show what we are building, how, and where. XELP-based near-term products, Tiger Lake, DG1, SG1, will use our Intel 10 nanometer transistor family with Superfin technology. XEHP uses our Superfin enhanced transistor technology for reasons you heard from Ruth earlier. XEHPG uses external process technology. This helped with our execution immensely as we got to leverage IP from external ecosystem. And HPC-based Pontevecchio, this is our most ambitious product. From the beginning, it was intended to use a combination of our enhanced superfin, our next-generation process, and external process technologies. Our advanced packaging gave us tremendous flexibility. Designed with software first, scalability next, and optimized for exciting new workloads, we have a full range of XE GPUs coming your way. XELP will be with you in 2020, and the rest of the stack in 2021. Let's now switch gears and briefly talk about our matrix architecture strategy. In 2018, we highlighted the strategy of AI everywhere. Lots of progress and updates since then on the hardware roadmap. Pretty much every product we shipped since December 2018 has packed more AI features and performance than ever before. This is our AI portfolio, from general purpose to purpose built. Since the AI story is far more relevant from a software point of view, we will come back to matrix architectures in the software pillar. Moving to the next architecture, we have made quite a bit of exciting progress in our special architectures. To tell you more about it, let's go talk to Ravi. Thank you, Raja. In 2018 Architecture Day, I presented our spatial architecture ideas and the FPGA roadmap plans. Today, I'm gonna to show you actual results that converted those ideas to reality. As you know, the FPGA process high-volume, unstructured data, and also act as effective co-processors to the CPU to accelerate compute-intensive applications. At Intel, we are using the collective assets of the CPU, the ASICs, and FPGAs to provide unique value to our customers to win in the marketplace. The top lane in this fall demonstrates Intel standard Xeon, our Atom product platform, with an FPGA that can support customization of new features and achieve time to market. In the next generation, that FPGA functionality gets absorbed into the standard Xeon or Atom with a smaller FPGA for any new workloads. One can look at this as an iterative process where FPGA plays the role of introducing and maturing new functionality, accelerating key market transitions. A good example of this is VRAN, deployment in 5G. Similarly, the bottom lane shows the FPGA capability of pre-processing and offloading 
as demonstrated in configurable smart NICs in the data center. With this context of FPGAs enabling new workloads in evolving platform, let's look at Intel's FPGA roadmap. In 2018, I had presented this Intel FPGA roadmap using our heterogeneous architecture strategy, enabled by Intel's advanced packaging technology, which you must have heard from Ramun earlier today. At 14 nanometer static stent was the first to adopt Intel EMIP technology, moving from monolithic to heterogeneous spatial architecture. This has given us flexibility to mix and match IP, translating to accelerated productization and a faster TTM. In 2018, I had introduced our Falcon Mesa architecture, the plans of using Intel's 10 nanometer technology. I'm proud to say that Falcon Mesa architecture is now sampling as Intel's Agilex product line with Intel's next generation co-EMIP technology, but more of it in a, just a little bit. Our next generation FPGA will use 3D Foveros technology. This 3D FPGA will create memory-bound, low-latency workload accelerators. It will enable multi-tenancy for function as a service. You can actually rent a sector in the data center. It will also allow rapid swapping of multi-function accelerators for real-time reconfiguration. This also unlocks opportunities for fine-grained power control. Now it's time to talk about the significant advancements in the value vectors, performance per watt, transceivers, and our use models. In 2018, I introduced that Falcon Mesa architecture and the Agilex product line will provide greater density devices with higher performance using lower power. Agilex actually uses Intel's second generation Hyperflex architecture. This has been re-architected for Intel's 10 nanometer process. I'm proud to show you actual functional silicon results today. Agilex is showing greater than 40% geo-mean Fmax improvement over the prior generation. There is an Fmax uplift across the entire design suite with our high-performance IP demonstrating 600 megahertz plus Fmax. There is consistent speed up in the data center, network, and edge workloads. This represents the highest Fmax uplift since the introduction of the Stratix 10 FPGAs. Agilex has optimized ALM circuit design and feature support, resulting in average 1.5x speedup in combinational LUT delay. In totality, there is a breakthrough FPGA product. Agilex will provide best-in-class density, higher performance, which is 40% higher than the previous generation, and lower power, 40% lower than the previous generation. Next up is our I.O. transceivers. Let me show you how we are feeding data to this compute beast. The massive compute engine needs to be fed with significantly increased I.O. bandwidth with low latency to move data in and out of the FPGA. With EMIP technology, Intel launched Stratix 10 with 17 gig NRZ, 28 gig NRZ, and the first 56 gig PAM4 tile FPGA product with variants which delivers the most advanced dual mode transceiver capabilities in the industry. 
By using EMIP to attach tile variants, this new infrastructure can reach 58 gigabits per second data rates while staying backward compatible with existing network infrastructure. This allows seamless data feeding into the core fabric and out of it. In the 2018 Architecture Day, I had introduced and we had demonstrated new 116 gigabits per second transceivers. Intel FPGAs continue to have the best transceiver technology, demonstrating 116 gigabits per second, very long reach, with 400 gig Ethernet, 600 gig interlocking, and of course, PCIe 5 and CXL coming up as well. We have now integrated this technology into our Agilex product family. Today, I'm excited to announce that we have the world's first 112 gig NRC and 224 gig PAM4 TX. Working demonstration. This would be a proof point that Intel's transceiver technology continues unabated for three consecutive generations as we continue to innovate and advance our FPGA roadmap and technologies. I know you have done work on tile development and heterogeneous architecture, and you have built real products in volume. Can we go deeper on this? Yes, we've built our FPGA portfolio based on heterogeneous architecture. I'm going to show you how this has helped us to rapidly proliferate and deliver products to our customers. We have a wide variety of family variants in our Stratix 10 and Agile X product families. Starting with our first generation Stratix 10, which uses EMIP technology, we currently have launched six variants of combinations of DDR, HBM, PCIe, UPI, transceiver tiles, DSP tiles, and memory tiles. We want to provide the flexibility of rapid proliferation to our customers. For example, our Stratix 10 GX is a combination of the core FPGA fabric tile along with PCIe Gen 3 and a serial transceiver. Here is another example, our Stratix 10 SX, which has a core fabric die with a HPS subsystem combined with our PCIe 3 and serial transceiver tile. Our latest Stratix 10 NX is optimized specifically for AI, and then we have our Stratix 10 DX, which is used for workload acceleration. Let me illustrate by showing you all our variants. With our second generation Agile X, we have launched three variants with different combinations of PCIe, CXL, HBM, DDR, including the higher performance per watt FPGA fabric. In addition, Agile X highlights the success of our 10 nanometer product execution from architecture to product delivery. We look forward to continuing to drive innovation in this space, moving to Fovero's 3D packaging in our next generation. Ravi, how has this translated to leadership products for coherent processors? The power of heterogeneous architecture is not only combining chiplets quickly, but also building an FPGA processor to act as an integrated XPU platform. Coherent attach is the key element to bring together FPGA and IA components to optimize offload acceleration and enable efficient processing of diverse workloads, such as data analytics, database acceleration, and as function as a service. To connect an FPGA to other Intel XPU components, it requires low latency coherent attach technology, 
where the FPGA works hand in hand with the CPU. FPGA uses the same memory as the CPU, and the FPGA CPU combined simplifies coding for our users. We are shipping Statix 10 DX, which is PCI Gen 4 plus UPI, since last year. And we are going to go ahead and sample PCI Gen 5 plus CXL later this year. This technology provides three key advantages. Migration with seamless ease, avoid high switching cost or major platform changes for our customers. And FPG is connected with Xeon with the same IP, whether it be PCIe or UPI or CXL, so that the Intel end-to-end platform with an embedded switch or workload is fully validated at the system level. With demand for AI growing, how do you plan to address that space? Here is a good example of how we've used our heterogeneous spatial architecture. The Intel Stratix 10 NX, which is Intel's first AI-optimized FPGA, embeds a new type of AI-optimized block. It's called the AI Tensor Block. The AI Tensor Block delivers up to 15x more int-8 compute performance than today's Stratix 10 MX for inferencing workloads. This is highly tuned for matrix-matrix or matrix-vector multiplications in AI, with capabilities designed to work efficiently for both small and large matrix sizes. Stratix 10 NX also has integrated high-speed memory and transceivers supporting high-performance AI applications. Stratix 10 NX complements the Intel Xeon processor and the broader Intel portfolio as a high-performance, low-latency, multi-function accelerator. They specifically address applications that require hardware customization with integrated AI requiring low latency and real-time capabilities. So in summary, we've covered Intel spatial architecture and FPGA roadmap. We specifically looked at the silicon performance and power results of AgileX. We introduced our next generation 224 gigabits per second transceivers, demonstrated the flexibility and rapid proliferation of our heterogeneous chiplets and showcased two product examples, the Statix 10 DX for coherent attach and the Statix 10 NX for AI applications. Thank you for all of your attention and back to you, Roger. Thanks, Ravi. We made great progress across all four of our programmable architectures, scalar, vector, matrix, and spatial. Viloco, Tiger Lake, and performance hybrid in Alder Lake, full range of XE, from LP to HPC, new matrix extensions, Agilex, Stratix 10 NX, and the 224G transceiver. We are well on our way to our XPU future. This is easily the pillar where I would work if I didn't already have a day and night job at Intel. As a compute architect, I'm always looking for magical disruptive advances in memory. It'll definitely make our job easier if all levels of memory hierarchy continues to get lower in latency, higher in capacity, wider in bandwidth, and cheaper in cost. That's the compute architect dream scenario. While compute has grown at an exponential rate, memory bandwidth only grew at a linear rate. This linear pace of memory innovation is definitely impeding our ability to deliver value at more slow pace. Graphics and AI workloads are even more memory bound than other workloads. 
In 2008, we prioritized our memory strategy to examine the memory hierarchy, analyze the gaps, and disrupt this hierarchy if necessary. I'll walk through the progress we have made in key levels of the hierarchy. But to make it easy to follow, I want to recast this pyramid to a bandwidth capacity plot. In this chart, the top edge of each box denotes performance, and the right edge denotes capacity. For reference, tertiary storage with hard disks have a higher capacity than DRAM, and compute caches with SRAM have much higher bandwidth than 3D NAND flash. Let's start at the bottom right and look at solid state storage. Intel has 30 plus years of experience with flash shell technologies. And our 3D NAND technology is the highest aerial density storage technology in the industry. In September 2019, at the Intel Memory Day in Seoul, Korea, we announced that we were skipping over the 128 node that most of the industry was developing and jumping to 144 layers. The first live demo of that 144 layer technology was Rob Crook's presentation itself. We remain on track to take this technology into production by the end of 2020. Our 4-bit per cell QLC technology helps us change the economics of storage and will help us fill the cost performance gap within storage, allowing for SSDs to continue to displace HDD for high capacity needs. Our 3D9 journey has been remarkable. This technology has an incredible future as a storage technology. But as many of you know, in 2015, Intel introduced a new memory technology, the first new technology since Flash was introduced, and that is 3D Crosspoint. As a memory technology, this new media sits between DRAM and 3D NAND. It has characteristics of both, but at the memory cell level, it is completely different and entirely new. Here, you can see the different memory arrays and the memory cell architectures, showing not only how different they are in construction, but also in size. I put these different cells side by side so you can see for yourself the difference. The cells themselves look completely different. And based on their cell architectures, they each have very distinct characteristics. But what's really stunning about putting these images side by side is when they are drawn to relative scale with each other. That DRAM cell in the white circle is what is required and necessary to hold a single bit of memory. Meanwhile, the same circle is much smaller in 3D Crosspoint and smaller again for 3D NAND, which, thanks to QLC technology, can hold up to four bits in that same circle. Yes, DRAM is actually that big in comparison. When you think about the ability for the two technologies on the right to continue scaling via stacking vertical layers, you can see very clearly why DRAM as a memory for capacity will continue to be limited. And as the data sphere continues to grow to zettabytes, the higher density options for 3D Crosspoint and NAND are needed in the memory hierarchy. At the higher end of storage, our opt-in products based on 3D Crosspoint technology continue to bring an entirely new level of performance to storage solutions. We launched our first SSDs on our original 2DEC opt-in media in 2017. 
We have been working hard on this memory technology and have doubled the density with a four-deck Optane media. We have learned a lot from our first-generation Optane SSD. Our second-generation SSD will move to PCIe Gen 4, and our goal is to exceed 2x performance gain. You will see lower latency from this SSD, especially with our new optimizations for single-sector reads. Our second-generation Optane SSD will make software developers very happy as it delivers great performance regardless of their workload data access patterns. Intel Optane SSDs, Intel 3D NAND SSDs, and the combination of these technologies inside innovative products like Intel Optane Memory H10 with NAND combined in single drive are successfully solving both the cost performance gap and storage performance gap we identified. Now let's go back and look at our favorite chart. It's good that we have addressed the issue on the right, but you can see clearly we aren't done yet. How about the issues on the left? We saw opportunities to disrupt other places in the hierarchy with a different system and software architecture, which gave birth to persistent memory. This is a truly disruptive technology. It's bridging the gap between the performance of main memory and the persistence of storage. In architecture speak, it represents direct load store access to large amount of byte addressable persistent memory. Words which my software developer colleagues have long been dreaming to hear. Finally, it is here. For data centers, there are numerous benefits with large memory pools and lower overall TCO. You see, this product can be configured to work in two modes, either acting like a large capacity memory or with software ecosystem enabling, it can be seen by the system as an entirely new place to put data that is both fast and persistent. And this is where we see the real disruption coming because new architectures beget new architectures. This new paradigm can support faster restarts, entirely new compute storage architectures in engineered systems like remote memory access and big memory solutions that the market has never seen before. We are on the precipice of truly revolutionizing the memory storage hierarchy in a way that has not been seen for decades. At our last architecture day, we had no persistent memory. In April 2019, we announced the launch of first-gen Intel Optane persistent memory, codenamed Apache Pass, for the data center market. With 3D Crosspoint's incredible density, we delivered the world's largest memory with capacities ranging from 128 gigabytes to 512 gigabytes per module. This allows for up to 4.5 terabytes of memory per socket. But we didn't rest there. Recently, in June this year, we announced our second generation of Optane persistent memory product, codenamed Barlow Pass which delivers an additional 25% higher memory bandwidth on average compared to Apache Pass. Here I have the Barlow Pass memory. We are back at our favorite chart again. So with persistent memory, we can offer higher capacities than DRAM at much higher bandwidth relative to performance storage. Another gap addressed. So what's next? 
Let's move up the chart for a bit. As we scaled up the compute density of our XCHPC architecture to meet the demands of exascale AI workloads, we ran into the problem that the bandwidth offered by HPM wasn't always meeting our compute capabilities, particularly for matrix operations. While on-chip SRAMs had great bandwidth, they couldn't hold large double precision floating point matrices. So we developed a discrete SRAM technology that we nicknamed RamboCache to solve this problem. Now back to our favorite chart to see where RamboCache fits on the map. And now back to the memory hierarchy pyramid that started it all. We have solved problems at different levels of the hierarchy and are continuing to take our memory pillar forward. Moving on to the next pillar, interconnect. We talked about real-time data intelligence and the importance of latency. We need high bandwidth, low latency solutions that scale from microns to miles. To speak more about our progress on interconnect, who better than Hong, who runs all our networking solutions. At Intel, we provide technology and product solutions for interconnects ranging from microns to miles, actually hundreds of miles, as illustrated in this inverted triangle. Starting from the bottom with ONDI and package interconnects, Intel has been a leader in SLC interconnects enabled by advanced packaging technology, such as Ferros and EMIP. We at Intel also pioneered the technology for interprocessor interconnects through PCI Express, CXL, and UPI. For data center connectivity, Intel provides a complete suite of technology and products from Ethernet interface cards to switches and optical transceivers. And finally, we cannot read industry news without being reminded of the 5G transition. Let me touch on our 5G portfolio. With the goal of succeeding in the convergence of communications and the compute, we responded with a lineup of products to meet the needs of the 5G ecosystems, such as Atom P5900 processor, Diamond Mesa ASIC for acceleration, and 5G optimized network adapter. In addition to wireless interconnect for 5G, I wanted to stress that we also have a leadership position for interconnect for client products. We introduced a Wi-Fi 6 line of products with 3x faster throughput, 4x network capacity, and 75% lower latency than the previous generation. In the wired client connectivity run, Thunderbolt continued to evolve and improve in capacity and accessibility to support the high-end monitors and expandability through multi-ports and familiar USB-C connectivity. Now let me double-click Intel's uh, data center connectivity solutions. So at right is a schematic of hyperscale data center Ethernet fabric, showing multiple interconnects and between the racks of the servers at the bottom through switches to the routers connecting to the core network. Ethernet NICs provide endpoint connectivity to servers, CPUs, and XPUs moving workloads and accelerating infrastructure. Intel Ethernet NICs are found across all network and use cases. Our leadership has come 
from 38 years of experience and over 1.4 billion ports. We just consummated volume production of 100 gigabit Ethernet NICs with advanced features like ADQ, DDP, RDMA, and pipeline programmability. And the data center continues its transformation. We are addressing the needs through leadership speed and foundational and smart NICs product for network processing offloads. High bandwidth Ethernet switch move data between racks of servers as we embrace the vision that network will be a programmable platform in the future. The P4 programmability of Intel Tofino switch platform offers the network flexibility and also the capability of conjection control, flow management, and telemetry. Only optical interconnection can provide the bandwidth needed by cloud service providers and large-scale data center operators. Intel pioneered the silicon photonics from architecture to design and manufacturing capability and capacity and proved to the industry that silicon photonics with a hybrid on-die lasers is a reliable, scalable, and high-volume manufacturable platform. To this date, we have shipped over 4 million optical transceivers with a data rate greater than 100 gigabit per second. The reliability record is outstanding with 25 dpm, and which is about two orders magnitude better than competition. As a result, we're providing our CSP customers with the best service level performance for cloud service uptime and latency. We have a comprehensive product roadmap which leads to 400 gigabit and 800 gigabit transceivers and 3.2 terabit photonic engines for co-packaging optics. True end-to-end -end performance optimizations require a programmable connectivity platform built on technology innovations and an open software framework. This technology innovations built for cloud waterfalls to 5G, Edge, in enterprise as they adopt the cloud-native architectures. Now let me fast forward for five years at the point of arrival of 2025. We expect the fruition of many co-optimization of technology assets. We see a trend of a shift of network control point to SmartNIC for some level of offload. We see a need of co-packaging of switch SOC with optical transceivers because it will just consume too much power to condition the high-speed traces, such as 100 gigabit and higher, on the motherboard. Telemetry and end-to-end -end solutions are critical to improve the network performance. Last but not the least, software will play an even more significant role than hardware as we believe that the network will be a programmable platform. Building on the legacy of Interconnector PCI Express, Intel is working with the industry for broad support of, for CXL. CXL is a new high-speed CPU-to-device and CPU-to-memory interconnect designed to accelerate next-generation data center performance. The promise of CXL is simpler design that does not have the redundant memory at the device. CXL will be one way to help the device compute to the edge of the network by enabling a broad open ecosystem 
for heterogeneous computing and server disaggregations. We at Intel continue to push the bandwidth envelope of electrical interconnect technology over the past decades. It will come to a point, however, that we will have to consume a lot more energy at a high speed, for example, 200 gigabit per second on electrical I.O. A high bandwidth and lower power optical I.O. will become very desirable. In March this year, we demonstrated the industry first a co-packaged silicon photonics-based photonic engines with a 12.8 terabit per second Intel Tofino 2 switch SOC. This capability provides a promise for lower power, lower cost, and a higher density integration for data center connectivity. We plan to leverage a CPO architecture to build an optical I.O. between XPUs and between XPU and memories. This chart illustrates an architecture to combine the EMIP with the silicon photonics engine to provide high bandwidth, low latency, and superior power efficiency than the best electrical I.O. concept available. The rich and shoreline density is orders of magnitude better than the electrical I.O. This will unleash the architecture in the compute, complex, and platform design. Hopefully in this short presentation, I have been able to convey to you Intel's architecture leadership in Interconnect with holistic solutions from microns to miles as one of the six technology pillars. Back to you, Raja. Thank you, Hong. Like with memory, we have an impressive range of solutions from microns to hundreds of miles, as Hong showed us. In 2018, we said that security isn't an afterthought after performance and other features, but needs to be architected from day one. We have entered an era where billions of devices are interconnected and the workloads seamlessly execute between the four architectures we referenced with the data moving through six or more levels of memory hierarchy, and maybe another four to six layers of interconnect hierarchy. The overall computational and data execution perimeter we need to protect is exponentially and scarily large. Let's have a chat with our top security architect, Martin Dixon, on our security architecture strategies. Thanks, Raja. I really appreciate being here today to talk to you about Intel security architecture vision. Now, it feels like an eternity ago, but at RSA, which was just in February, we said that workloads expand and threat models evolve. And as computing goes through its second great decentralization, going from cloud to edge, there are three big security things that are on my mind. The first one is a lack of physical security, right? It used to be that you have a security guard and walls and so on. Now, a hut at the side of the road that's a 5G installation, you don't have the same security perimeter. The second thing is workloads are now distributed more than ever before. It used to be that workloads were monolithic. Now you've got dozens of microservices running on dozens of devices. As we all know, security is only as strong as the weakest link, and so we have to give them all a good baseline of security. And finally, you're always talking about different architecture types. You talk about spatial and vector and matrix and scalar. 
And we see all of them at the edge. We see GPUs, XPUs, we see AI processing elements, we see cameras, we see all of that stuff, and they all need solid security architecture. So what do we do about this, right? We start our architecture with foundational security. We've got to have a solid base to build upon. And we have a long and storied history of delivering technology after technology here. You know, We've delivered OS Guard and Boot Guard and BIOS Guard and this Guard and that Guard, all these different technologies to make sure that the platform comes up correctly and is running what you expect it to run. We've delivered security engines that are being used more than a billion times worldwide. Now, my personal favorite, the thing that, that I worked on, was cryptography. I wrote the microcode that accelerated the first AES and core products, and we got an order of magnitude performance improvement. We got 10x, and by doing that, we enabled HTTPS everywhere, and that's what secures e-commerce worldwide. Not only did we secure all of the network traffic, we also enabled hard drive encryption that I'm sure you have turned on on your laptop. And then after the disk encryption, what's the next logical thing to go after? Well, it's main memory. And you heard Boyd talk about total memory encryption introduced into Tiger Lake. And TME, it's great. It shuts down an entire attack class where an attacker steals your system, crashes it, and then reads the contents out of memory. Well, when they do that with Tiger Lake, all they're going to get is garbage, ciphertext, nothing that they can use. As we look to the future beyond Tiger Lake, we believe that every piece of intelligent silicon deserves a security engine, something that replaces that security guard that was at the data center. We're also working on other stuff, post-quantum cryptography, glitch resistance, you know, link encryption, all the other techniques. But we really think that that security engine vision is important for us and important for the world. Once we've got that solid foundation, though, we also need to isolate workloads. We need to protect them. Every piece of software deserves a trusted execution environment. Maybe not worms and viruses, but Every other piece of software deserves a trusted execution environment. Virtualization, it's not just the basis for the cloud. It is our primary way that we are going and isolating workloads from one another. In the market at the moment, Intel has SGX, Software Guard extensions, that allows you to build a little enclave inside an application that protects its data and its code and makes sure it executes exactly as you expect it. And as we move forward, we're looking towards isolating entire virtual machines, VMs from one another, and from the virtual machine monitor, the hypervisor underneath it. This is our vision for workload protection. But the primary way that attackers get into systems, they don't do hardware attacks for the most part. They want to scale, so they use software attacks. And every year, MITRE goes through and categorizes the top 25 security weaknesses, and buffer overflow and incorrect code execution are always there. You heard earlier also about CET, Intel Control Flow Enforcement Technology that Boyd Phelps introduced with Tiger Lake. CET shuts down another class of attacks, so-called return-oriented programming or jump-oriented programming attacks, where the attacker finds snippets of legitimate code and daisy-chains them together with returns and then causes the program to do something it's not supposed to. With CET, we make it infinitely harder for the attacker to be able to get any of those. And then as we look to the future, we see that 
that buffer overflow and memory reuse, those are our next challenges and where we're focusing our architecture energy. When computing went through its first decentralization, the era of the cult of the dead cow, where we went from mainframe to PC, computer security was nascent. It was not a discipline that anyone knew much about. Today is markedly different. Underpinning everything that we do is security assurance work. And this is where I personally spend the majority of my time, working on our threat models, evolving them, building mitigations. On our security architecture, we're building a solid foundation that protects our workloads and makes sure that the software is more reliable on top of it. Because we believe that data deserves to be secured wherever it's being processed. So with that, thanks, Raja. I appreciate being here to talk to you. Back to you. Let's switch gears and talk about Software Pillar. This is the most profound and impactful of all our pillars. We have over 15,000 strong software engineering talent at Intel who deliver vast amounts of software across multiple layers of the stack, from firmware and drivers to middleware and frameworks that enable the world's software applications and operating systems to run efficiently on our hardware. We have also been a leading contributor to many key open source projects. In 2018, I described the opportunity for unlocking orders of magnitude greater performance through software. Sometime in the near future, I'll also detail how software is fundamentally changing how we architect our chips. Software in our view is also the key pillar that will keep the exponential growth promise of Moore's law going. As we increasingly rely on combinations of scalar vector matrix and spatial architectures for a growing range of workloads, software is not only an opportunity for improved performance in CPU, it's also a necessity to support our heterogeneous architectures. Heterogeneous architectures deliver great performance, but without software strategy, their impact would not be great. We have seen this chart before. We have defined architecture impact in terms of performance and generality. Generality is not just the ability to express any computation. It's also proportional to scale of the software that's available on a given architecture. The firmware, operating systems, virtualization orchestration layers, runtimes, middleware, applications, solutions, and services that run on a given architecture all contribute to its generality. CPU is a super high impact architecture in part because of its robust software stack. There are decades of work that have gone into building the x86 stack and 20 million developers behind it. But generality is inversely proportional to heterogeneity. Everything from ISA to data types to memory affect the generality of an architecture. Over last several generations of Xeon, we have increased the heterogeneous math capabilities of CPU by over 150x through extensions like AVX. But these extensions don't give you performance for free. We need new software and tuning to close the gap and increase the impact. When we embarked on our GPU journey, a lot of folks had doubts, doubts on our ability to execute on software. Fortunately, we had folks inside that had years of experience dealing with heterogeneity on CPU. So to tell you about how we are optimizing Xeon to enable even higher AI performance, 
and how we are enabling our upcoming XPUs for AI, I'd like to invite Wei Li, our Chief Machine Learning Software Architect, to join us. Thank you, Roger. I'm Wei Li, and I run the AI Software Group. My goal is to develop a scalable AI infrastructure. AI software is hard because there are a few challenges. For example, data size is exploding, data type is growing, there are a lot of AI software in the ecosystem, and needless to say, many hardware possibilities. It is very challenging and yet very exciting for my team. A few years ago, we started somewhere more focused. We focused on deep learning for CPU. Why CPU? CPU is everywhere and general purpose. When you have a data center, you have many Xeons. When you have a laptop, you have a CPU. If you can make CPU work for AI, then everyone can benefit from it. In the last Architecture Day back in December of 2018, we showed that we improved performance by 275x from software. And we have continued improvement since then. Today, we have dramatically increased performance for both inference and training on Xeon. We managed to reduce inference latency from seconds to milliseconds to achieve real-time AI inference for our customers. And we also reduced training time from weeks or days to just hours or minutes. Customers benefit from this the most. Today, they are running most of their deep learning inference on Intel CPU. We have seen a wide range of customers from CSPs, healthcare, to financial industries. Another example is that we are working with a very large fast food chain that you might go to frequently. They are developing customized recommendation and advertisement for their customers to add intelligence to their service. In the future, when you visit their stores, you may be offered your favorite burger upon your arrival. Why did they choose Xeon? It is because that is where their data reside. It will take time to move the data, and more importantly, it will take extra expensive human effort to manage another infrastructure. There are many other reasons customers choose CPU. They chose CPU because deep learning inference was a part of a specific application, and these applications usually run best on CPU. They chose Xeon because they wanted to use the large memory on the CPU. In the multi-cloud, they chose Xeon for hybrid analytics plus AI or HPC plus AI. We have optimized popular deep learning frameworks and have worked closely with Google on TensorFlow, Facebook on PyTorch, and AWS on MXNet, just name a few. We also developed our own deep learning inference engine called OpenVINO. They were all supported by libraries such as MKLDNN Neural Network uh, Math Library and MLSL for machine learning communications primitives. Let me show you a recent example. DLRM is a recommendation workload from Facebook last year. We were able to boost the training performance of DLRM on a single socket by about 7.8x with just software optimizations. However, with increasingly large amount of data, it is not sufficient to run DL training on a single socket, and we need to scale out to multiple sockets. 
and we have add additional optimizations to scale out to multiple nodes here. With these additional optimizations, we were able to achieve a whopping 133x performance boost on 26 sockets. We learned a lot in the past few years. I will make two observations. The first observation is that the field of AI evolves rapidly. The breakthrough in AI first focused on solving computer vision use cases. If you look at the first pie chart on the left-hand side, more than 90% of the time was spent on matrix modification. If you attended last Architecture Day, you may have seen my demo using ResNet 50, which is a very popular computer vision model. Now, AI covers more use cases such as natural language processing and recommendation systems. If you look at the middle and the right pie charts, we're still seeing a good amount of matrix modification, but they also include diverse set of other operations. The second observation is that there's a great need for end-to-end -end AI pipelines. Our customers have a lot of data. Each of them has their own AI data pipelines. They have to ingest data pre-processed by feature engineering, sometimes using machine learning, train the model using either deep learning or machine learning, and then deploy the model. So our customers need machine learning, big data analytics, and deep learning working together to solve their problems. AI pipelines today are largely running on Xeon, particularly in the production environment, because Xeon is where data is and it can also run any workload. So what does your software stack look like? It is actually a broad ecosystem. We cover entire AI and analytics, including deep learning, machine learning, and big data. From TensorFlow, PyTorch, OpenVINO, to Scikit-Learn, XGBoost, and Spark, just to name a few, this is critical for end-to-end -end AI pipelines. We are actively participating in many open source AI and analytics projects beyond deep learning. Recently, we hired the creator and maintainer of Modin. With Modin, you can have one-line code change to scale out Pandas code for distributed computing. And this is another place where distributed computing is becoming more and more important. We also lead with solutions like Analytics Zoo for data scientists. Analytics Zoo is an Intel open source project that makes it easy for people to develop and deploy AI models. The entire software stack is supported by low-level compilers and the libraries designed to accelerate performance on XPUs. As Raja mentioned, we have AI acceleration everywhere, including CPU, integrated GPU, discrete GPU, FPGA, VPU, and Havana. For example, our next generation Xeon will have Advanced Matrix Extension, AMX, and XCGPU will have XC Matrix Extension, XMX. The important part here is to scale out our work on deep learning, machine learning, and big data across CPU, GPU, and XPUs. You can imagine the number of combinations will be very large. One API will provide that scalability with one DNN, one DAO, and one CCL, which are APIs and libraries for deep learning and machine learning and communications, respectively. Let's look at our roadmap. Our goal is to develop a scalable end-to-end -end 
AI infrastructure on XPU. Both machine learning and big data have been running on Intel for many, many years. And we continue to optimize machine learning and big data, big data because they are very important. With the recent progress, we have established our additional leadership in, in deep learning inference and end-to-end -end AI. Going forward, we'll expand to XPU, including CPU, DGPU, and AI processors. Now let's look at one example, which is BFlow16. BFlow16 is a new data type recently introduced in the AI community. It is a data format that is half the size of FP32 with less Mantissa bits. It can achieve better performance than FP32 with no visible loss of accuracy. It can also improve energy efficiency. We continue to prioritize the latest AI ideas quickly. BFlow16 is already available in the third generation Xeon scalable processor we launched two months ago. It will be supported across XPUs such as XE GPU and Havana AI Accelerator. Here's a actual demo of ResNet 50. It is doing training on the latest Xeon. FP32 is on the left-hand side and B416 is on the right-hand side. In the middle, you can see that B416 runs about 1.9x faster than FP32 due to doubled peak throughput per cycle. Even with the reduced precision, training results using B416 show no loss of accuracy compared to FP32. With this feature on Xeon, we have not only improved performance, maintained accuracy, but we also have improved energy efficiency for AI. Now you have seen the benefits of B416. We have worked hard to bring this feature to our developers seamlessly. Developers can take advantage of B416 with one line of code change, as you see on the left-hand side. We take care of the rest automatically inside the deep learning frameworks and the libraries. One DNN library offers the same op coverage as FP32 and automatically change the data layouts required to switching between FP32 and B416. To summarize, I'm very excited about developing a scalable end-to-end -end AI infrastructure for a broad group of developers and users on a broad set of applications. With that, thank you, and I'll hand it over to Raja now. Thanks, Wei. It's really inspiring to see your journey of improving AI performance by 1000x through software. Leveraging the vector matrix performance extensions we have done in Xeon Roadmap. Wei also shared his roadmap on how he's leveraging one API to help bring the Xeon AI stack to our upcoming XPU architectures. Now, let me give an update on our one API roadmap. But before we go to that, let me remind you all how comprehensive our one API stack is. Our programming language support is most comprehensive in the industry. We have rich set of optimized domain-specific libraries. We also have migration tools to make it easy to port from other proprietary languages. And we also have our very popular CPU debugging and profiling tools supporting our upcoming GPUs. Last but not least, we have a great system programming API layer, which we call Level Zero, that enables third parties to develop their own optimized languages 
libraries, and tools for our XP use. One API is easily the most extensive and ambitious software project that I have ever been part of. Let me share with you where we are on our execution. You may recall at Supercomputing in 2019, we launched our first public beta of One API with support for CPU, integrated GPU, and FPGA. Just a short time ago, we released our eighth iteration of One API beta, which delivers new features and enhancements for distributed data analytics, rendering performance, profiling, and our video and threading libraries. Looking ahead to our gold release of One API, we will provide developers with a solution that has production quality and performance across scalar vector matrix and spatial architectures. One API Gold will be available to developers later this year. We are also looking forward to the ratification of One API specification version 1.0 to bring One API to the broader industry. Along with One API in 2019, we also announced Intel DevCloud which exposes our libraries and toolkits to developers, allowing them to start writing software using one API, even before they have hardware in hand. And speaking of hardware, I'm super excited to share publicly that our first discrete GPU, DG1, based on XCLP architecture, is currently available to early access developers in Intel DevCloud. I'm looking forward to expanding access to our newest hardware and software to all of our DevCloud users soon. So now I want to show you firsthand just how easy DevCloud and One API is to use across our XPU architectures. In this video, you're going to learn how easy it is to get started programming across CPUs, GPUs, and FPGAs using One API software and the Intel DevCloud. One API provides a cross-architectural language called Data Parallel C++ with world-class compilers, performance libraries, and analysis tools for high-performance heterogeneous code. Now let me show you how easy it is to find and connect to the Intel DevCloud for One API. From the main page, scroll down to Data Center Workloads and click on One API. Click Connect, and you can instantly log in and begin programming in Data Parallel C++. To demonstrate this, let's take a look at a Mandelbrot project. Using Data Parallel C++ code, the Mandelbrot can run across three different offload devices without making any changes to the body of code. For this demo, I do manually change the default selector in order to choose where to offload the code. In this case, the default selector is choosing GPU. I made three copies of the code to run across each offload device. And because we are on the Intel DevCloud, we can submit all three jobs at the same time and get parallel execution. In this next one, we asked it to offload to the CPU. And in the final one, we chose the FPGA emulator. The GPU is already done, and as you can see, it ran in a thousandth of a second and built a very nice Mandelbrot. Let's check on the CPU. It provided an identical Mandelbrot, albeit running a bit slower. And finally, the FPGA also gave us the same results. As you can see, in less than a few minutes using Data Parallel C++, you can start to program across Intel CPUs, GPUs, and FPGAs. Sign up to use the Intel DevCloud. It's free for developers. You'll be up and running in minutes because you don't have to download, install, or maintain anything. As you just saw, DevCloud use requires no hardware installs, no software downloads, and no configuration setups. So far today, you have heard from several of our architects who are working on new innovations across all six pillars and exciting new products. But now I'd like to show you how we are bringing these together to deliver 
our data center vision. For that, let's bring Sailesh, our chief data center processor architect, to walk us through. Thanks, Raja. In order to deliver the data center vision, we will need to bring to bear all the technology pillars we outlined in our inter-architecture vision. The compute architecture in the data center needs to deliver best throughput as well as best responsiveness or lowest workload latency at the same time across a broad set of workloads and usages that are prevalent in the data center. It needs to deliver on traditional task parallel workloads and emerging data parallel workloads. It needs to scale well, not just within the processor, but also across the server node. While all this is necessary for good server performance, it is not sufficient at data center scale. At data center scale, it is important to deliver the elasticity to address the demands of scalability across multiple workloads that are consolidated in the data center. It is also important to provide consistent performance and performance isolation across the different simultaneous usages. Interconnect architecture is fundamental for performance at scale, whether that's within the SOC, within the server node, or at the entire data center scale. We are collaborating with industry consortiums to advance and accelerate interconnect technologies needed in the data center. We believe CXL will advance the state of the art in accelerators, but more importantly, transform memory architecture in the system. In addition, operating data center entails significant amount of overhead. We'll be introducing technologies like scalable IOV that improve data center scale IO device virtualization and technologies like DSA that accelerate critical data movement and processing functions that improve data center utilization. Included is our upcoming lineup of Xeon processors. We just released the Cooper Lake processor over the summer. Cooper Lake brings with it advanced new capabilities that provide compelling AI performance. Later this year, we'll bring Ice Lake server to market. Ice Lake will deliver significant performance improvements in both throughput and responsiveness across all workloads. It'll also bring a set of new technologies like total memory encryption, PCIe Gen 4, higher memory channels, and instruction set architecture to speed up crypto processing. We're also excited to bring the Xeon D version of Ice Lake Server that is optimized for storage and networking workloads. Next year, we are targeting to bring Sapphire Rapids to market. We have the silicon in our labs and are excited about sampling it to customers soon. Sapphire Rapids supports the data center vision we outlined. It will not only deliver yet another major jump in performance and responsiveness across all the data center usages, but will deliver advancements in a number of technologies like advanced matrix extensions, data streaming accelerator, and bring leading industry standard technologies like DDR5, PCI Gen 5, and CXL. Thank you. Back to you, Raja. Thanks, Ailesh. Moving from data center to the client, to tell us about the impact the six pillars are having on the future of client, I'll pass it over to Brijesh, our chief client product architect. 
Client 1.0 was built in the PC era, where we built monolithic SOCs for general purpose compute. To take the client from where it is right now to the next stop where everything is intelligent, when everything looks like a computer and everybody has access to large amount of computing resources at short latencies, client has to re-architect itself. Graphics, displays, and media are scaling to a point where we can provide immersive lifelike experiences. And each experience requires very different set of optimization. So how can you do this in a reasonable amount of time? We've been working on this for quite some time. In a world where customers demand extremely rich experience for every use case, we have changed the way we think about our construction tools and methodologies. Our purpose has changed from building monolithic general purpose SOCs to building scalable purpose-built devices to provide rich user experience. And we have used all the technologies we talked about today to build this architecture, including disaggregation, advanced packaging tools, new memory technologies, and extreme innovation in virtualization and advanced software APIs. Client 2.0 begins with experience first. In order to deliver unique user experience with uncompromised performance at ultra high efficiency. And it's scalable to deliver various personas. For example, a corporate employee could be using a lot of productivity tools and want a lot of AI capabilities. A gamer might want a large graphics and AI engine, while a content creator might want to have a lot of graphics and compute. We can provide all these without any compromises in Client 2.0. Overall, Client 2.0 is about delivering winning products at annual cadence with these vectors in mind. Experience first, scalable, energy efficient, and efficient use of Moore's law. I'm super excited with what's possible with Client 2.0. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about Client 2.0 in the near future. With that, back to you, Raja. Thanks, Prajesh we have a research funnel that feeds into the architecture advances of all six pillars. To tell us more about what future problems that our researchers at Interlabs are working on, let's hear from head of Interlabs, Rich Ulick. Thanks, Raja. So throughout the sessions today, we've been giving updates on the six technology pillars. Our mission in Intel Labs is to keep those pillars strong well into the future by doing exploratory research into new technology innovations. Just by way of example for how we've done this in the past, here are a few familiar technologies that were originally developed in Intel Labs. We did the architecture definition and prototyping that led to Thunderbolt I.O. We worked out the physics behind all of the building blocks for silicon photonics. And we've done the architecture for multiple generations of Intel virtualization technology. So what have we been working on lately? Well, it's a lot, and I'd love to tell you all about it. In fact, we're planning a future Intel Labs Day with many more details. And these are some of the topics that we'd like to cover in, in that event. But for today, I'm going to give you a preview by double-clicking on one of those projects, our work on neuromorphic computing. This is the kind of question we like to ask in Intel Labs. How can we achieve a 100x or 1,000x improvement in compute efficiency? You can't achieve this by thinking incrementally. You really need to think differently about models of computation. Let me give an example. There's the familiar von Neumann model of computation that we all know and love. It's very general purpose, and we have decades of experience in how to program it, essentially the way we encode algorithms to run as sequential threads of control. But in recent years, we've come to realize that there are other ways to tackle problems, and deep learning is a great example of that. 
Here you don't exactly write down an algorithm. Instead, you train a DNN with labeled data sets. And the process of improvement is all about getting good at linear algebra, you know, implementing dense matrix arithmetic with the right numeric support and hardware. And we've been able to get tremendous gains just in recent years, 10x, 50x kinds of gains over time. Now we're asking ourselves if even higher levels of efficiency can be obtained. And we know that there's an existence proof for that. It's with biological brains. It's estimated that the human brain expends just 20 watts of power, which is really remarkable given all that it can do. And we think that that energy efficiency comes from the way that connected networks of neurons only fire or, or spike when there's work to do. Our neuromorphic computing research is trying to get at that same kind of efficiency. Essentially what we're doing is building an architecture that's good at dynamic event processing to model the kinds of behaviors we see in biological brains. We have a neuron model, which is basically just a collection of rules that specify when a given neuron should fire or to send a spiking message into the on-die network. And the timing of those messages is important. It, it can determine whether a spike excites or inhibits a neuron from firing. So let me explain with an example. Let's take sparse coding. The task here is to figure out how to effectively compress data. Uh, so say you have a source image that you want to compress and you have a dictionary of base image elements that you need to select from. And what you want to do is build a linear combination of those base elements to reconstruct the source image. Now when this is solved using classical approaches, it's a very compute-intensive search problem. The way we solve it with neuromorphic computing is that we represent those image patches in the dictionary with neurons. And then we interconnect them in a way that causes the neurons to compete with one another. The ones that make a positive contribution to the source image are reinforced, while the ones that make a negative contribution are suppressed and they stop firing. And hence they stop using energy, and that's really where the energy efficiency comes from. You can see how this works in the animation. Uh, there's a ton of intense activity at the beginning as the neurons compete with one another. Then some clear winners are identified, the ones that make a positive contribution to the reconstruction, and they get used for that purpose. Now these graphs report the resulting performance. You can see uh, in the blue line that the neuromorphic solution converges very quickly. It finds a good solution with relatively little energy spent. And notice that this is a logarithmic scale uh, chart. The green line is a classical solution. It takes much longer to converge, and although it can actually find a better solution, it spends a considerable amount of additional energy doing so. And so the bottom line is that with neuromorphic computing, we think that we can get a, a very good, maybe not a perfect solution, but, but one that is delivered with far less energy expended. And you can see this in the energy delay product graph at, at the right, which um, shows we're getting really uh, upwards of three orders of magnitude improvement in energy efficiency. To test these concepts, we've been building working prototypes. Uh, the base chip is called Loihi, and over time we've been building ever larger system configurations. You can see a, a smaller system at the left there, it's in a USB stick, and then we have larger clusters moving to the right with our biggest configuration combining 768 Loihi chips called Pohuiki Springs. Now to be clear, this is still a research project, it's not yet a product. So, that begs the question, what, what needs to happen to productize this technology? Well, really it's a combination of finding good applications for this style of computing, along with tackling all of the programming challenges. And to make progress on those vectors, we've brought together an external research community, and we're enabling them with Loihi hardware and with software development kits, working together to explore new applications for the architecture. 
A key aspect of the approach is that we're developing a very concrete understanding of software and the programming requirements alongside the target applications. So I'm really looking forward to folding that understanding into future versions of One API so that we can take this beyond the research community to the broader developer community. And we're already learning a lot. Uh, here are some of the cool applications that we've already identified. Uh, we're figuring out ways to do very efficient similarity search against large visual databases. We're teaching Loihi to literally to smell, to classify different scents captured with gas sensors. And we're exploring how Loihi can do efficient tactile sensing, say for a, a robotic hand, uh, to solve problems like reading Braille. Our hope is that this kind of collaborative work with an external research community will not only help us to find new applications, but also kickstart an ecosystem for future productization. Before I hand it back to Raja, I just want to say that I'm extremely excited about the fact that Intel Labs and the architecture organizations within Intel are working much more closely than they ever have in our history. And that, to me, is a signal that we really are going to be able to bring innovation to market much more quickly. Okay, back to you, Raja. Thank you, Rich. I'm looking forward to adding neuromorphic to our spatial architectures and taking them mainstream. Through the course of today, you heard from many of my architecture friends who shared exciting innovations and products across all six pillars. We also heard how these six pillars combine together to transform the data center, transform the edge, and transform the client. We saw some amazing research and saw a glimpse of how computing will continue to evolve. We are making amazing progress along all of our six pillars and look forward to providing future updates. As I mentioned at the start of the day, Intel is undergoing a transformation of which the shift to transistor resilient design is one part. We are on a journey from CPU to XPU, which brings scalar vector matrix and spatial architectures together. We are going through a massive culture and mindset change in order to shift to a software-first approach to hardware architecture and design. As we do that, we are expanding the impact of our work beyond just our physical products to include solutions that create the experiences our developers, customers, and users want. For decades, Intel has been at the center of the technology industry. Our products, along with those of our customers, have reshaped the way we all work, live, and play. But our collective journey is far from over. I believe we are at the start of a new era, an intelligent era, an exascale for everyone era. This era will be powered by unprecedented levels of compute performance and disruptions across all six pillars. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you all in person next time. Stay safe. Wow, that was a lot of great content from some of the top technical leaders across the company. We hope that you feel as energized and excited about what the future holds as we do. The six pillars of technology innovation are critical for unlocking the potential of data and enable us to all work together to lead the industry forward into the next era of computing. We are using these pillars to drive forward to achieve our purpose in creating world-changing technologies that enrich the lives of every person on Earth. We will have more to share on many of these topics in the coming weeks and months. But for now, on behalf of everyone you heard from and all of us at Intel, I would like to say a big thank you for spending time with us today. Stay safe 
and we'll see you soon.